The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five resurgent performances in MMA with special guest Jordan Killian. We dove deep like Doc Brown and the DeLorean, so strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Up, you savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com, as well as five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, uh, but in a different way. This is a top five episode where we break down top five moments. It's always good to reflect in MMA's history, and of course, on these type of episodes, I always need some help to help reel it in, to help me dig deep, and uh, I'm bringing back uh, probably the most uh, uh, normal co-host, I guess you could say, and definitely most normal if we're comparing it to, uh, to me uh, of any kind, uh, Jordan Killian, here to assist me with the topic, at J. Killian MMA. What's up, Jordan? What's up with y'all? <laughs> Not much, man. Thanks for joining me for another one of these, man. Uh, you know, I always appreciate you coming on uh, to help me out with these topics, dude. Um, uh, it's a, it's the bright spot of my day, usually of my week. And now that uh, my things have changed in my life and I'm no longer working a nine-to-five job, uh, if, if, for those of you who don't know me, I, I'm a stay-at-home dad now. I'm lucky enough to, uh, to have that as my, my career now. And uh, so this is like the only time I talk to an adult. So this is dope. But if I ask you if you've gone potty yet, you'll have to forgive me, Dan. Well, it's okay. Even though um, uh, I, I, I feel like I'm kind of working all, all all over the place as far as like people interaction, um, I can side with you there. And as far as like not communicating with adults, a lot of my communication was with uh, the uh, MMA Twitter fan base. So I guess we're kind of on the same. <laughs> Basically the same. They're both right around four month old coverage. Yeah, man. And uh, before we jump into this topic, I, I, we're not really a current event show, but I feel like there are, you know, arguably some worthy current events worth talking about in these last couple of weeks. And of course, I was short on the show, um, so uh, I, I definitely um, do want to want to want to touch on a few things before we get to our our topic. Which, by the way, I haven't even said. Uh, I don't think I uh, yet yet on this program. We're doing top five. Uh, resurgent performances, which uh, I will probably re-outline again when we jump into it, so I'll save it for then, but that's what uh, I brought Jordan uh, here for today, but um, but first, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been a crazy two weeks, and, and I, and I uh, got to owe my listeners a quick explanation here, uh, Jordan, so I always feel rude getting into this stuff when I have a guest, but the good news is the fact that I have a guest on, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, is uh, it'll prevent Dan Tom from ranting, um, not ranting but ranting too much or as he usually does so jordan, so so jordan feel free to chime in and and, and interrupt uh, i'm going to get into the current events but uh, followed by uh, an excuse to my listeners first cool i'm your huckleberry all right sounds good uh yeah i i, I was supposed to uh and i was kind of discussing this and we kind of cut it short uh because we're just like you know what? let's just save this for pod um you know uh I was supposed to record an episode with a little bit of a Bellator and PFL, and, and well, of course, touch on the UFC 229 fallout, which seems to continuously be continuing to gr- gr- keep growing legs. 
Um, but yeah, it, as I was uh, recording the, the podcast, it was my, my, my last hard day, as I put it. Uh, I had doors installed, the work was done, and uh, Dan Tom could not leave the doors that he had installed. I've been waiting for a couple months. As listeners know, I've been, been kind of uh, reshaping a new place, an old beater house from the early 80s. It was the ugly duckling of the, uh, duckling of the block. I've been, been fixing it up. Yada, 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 fast forward, finally um, get some doors I've been waiting for. And for those of you who don't know, um, this house was built in 84, which I just found out is old enough to where like your that puts your house in the, the classic car department to where the appropriate analogy is when you're ordering parts for a classic car, obviously much harder to come by, uh, more expensive. And, uh, I had to, I had to wait for this, uh, sliding door. They just didn't make it in the size essentially. And they put it in. It's a good quality door, but the guy warned me, he said, man, this, this door is going to be a real pain in the ass to open, close and lock as you first get it. And uh, it's going to take some wear, and of course, Dan Tom being impatient and wanting things now, I didn't want to wait for that wear, decided, you know what, why don't I just do the old pop it off the tracks, at least one of the doors off, then grease the whole sucker down with WD-40, pop the door back in, and voila, I don't have to struggle, I don't have to wait, boom. And uh, as I'm popping the slider door back in with with, a, with a, an assist from uh uh, my mother, don't worry, I wasn't making her do the heavy lifting, I'm guiding it back in, we're getting it through the rough part as it's just not wanting to slide through and all of a sudden boom it goes slides all the way through you know like it, it gives way unfortunately my finger uh, pinky finger to be exact gets in the way of the other sliding door the opposing one right and gets caught in cross traffic um to where i pull my hand out and makes a the glass door makes the fum, 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 like there was big impact and uh as i explained to jordan it was like a uh, frank mirror when he broke tim sylvia's arm like i was tim sylvia and my finger is essentially hanging not the way it's supposed to, and swelling is immediately ensuing around the knuckle area where my finger is supposed to connect. And, or it's still connected, don't don't get me wrong, there was no blood, but it wasn't connected the way it should be. And uh, I guess that makes the door frank mirror. And my mom was Herb Dean, and she was like, you, sh you should go get that checked out. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I think I'm fine. I just, you know, let's wrap it up. I'm going to record my podcast. I'll put some ice on it. It'll probably be good by the time I'm done recording my podcast. Uh, no, your finger shouldn't be there. And yep, of course, Dan had to go. I'll be wrapped up. Long story short, I'll be wrapped up for four weeks. Thankfully, it was a clean fracture, so Dan Tom doesn't have to go through yet another surgery in 2018. But yeah, I'm rocking a sweet cast. People were asking about that on the radio show. And uh, maybe why I'm not tweeting as much, because, uh, you know, I only have one hand, and unfortunately, it's my non-dominant hand. So... An excuse, but it's a it's a legitimate one. There it is. Uh, so so I, I apologize. And Jordan was explaining to me he had a... Jordan, you've had some uh, finger issues as well, pinky issues. So you can kind of uh, kind of relate, right? Yeah, man. I dislocated. I've dislocated my left pinky like 15 times. First started back in high school when I was playing sports. It would just come come and done. And the doctor told me after like the second time, he's like, "This uh, when things start dislocating, they don't necessarily become harder to dislocate moving forward. So if you're ever you know carrying something really heavily towards that part of your hand, you might want to be careful." Uh, reinforce it but long story short yeah i've dislocated my left pinky like 15 times and it gets a little easier every time it still hurts a lot of time but let me say this dan uh you you describing that makes me really really thankful that i'm married because the best part about being married is that my wife <laughs> talks to me how to do stupid shit yes. constantly we had a we had a huge limb in our backyard it was hanging and i couldn't reach it and i called the the tree guy and i was like hey can you come out and get this limb they're like yeah 85 bucks and i was like I can do that. No problem. So I got my ladder. I couldn't quite reach it. But I was like, if I climb on my shed from my ladder and I jump and I grab the limb, I could just use gravity to pull it down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with it. 
So I'm literally stepping from the ladder to keep in mind, my wife is a physician, right? So <laughs> I didn't run this by her at all. I'm just Jesus. climbing up the ladder. I'm stepping on top of the shed about to jump. And my wife comes up. She's like, no, 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 shut it down. Not happening. So, uh, yeah, someday, Dan, you know, when you, <laughs> the best part about being married is that someone's going to be there to be like, hey, stupid, stop doing that. Dude, you're, you're, you're so right. I think uh, I, I could use just somebody just in charge of that. I mean, they don't have to be married to me. I, I, I probably could, would, yeah. would, would, would pay someone. It would save me a lot of money and time probably. But, but yeah, yeah, man, that is one thing I noticed. Just like uh, feeling like helpless, not, like, not being able to open certain things. Like uh, I had to get a, another thing of ibuprofen. Um, <laughs> thankfully, my mom picked it up for me. And I was like, <laughs> this is really embarrassing. But it was one of those like really tight medicine caps I can't explain it. It's not the easy pop-off ones, and I just looked at it and went, I'm, this is going to be real tough. Can you just pop that open? The pills aren't going to go bad. Just just leave an open thing of pills on my kitchen countertop for me to, you know, nibble off of throughout the week. Like, it sounds very terrible, I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking ibuprofen on a full stomach for you uh, health nut people out there. Don't worry. But, but things, you, things you just normally don't think about, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, but uh, but yeah, it it was crazy, and especially to pile, top on to which this is going to parlay into the current events. We'll just we'll loosely touch on two twenty nine. It's been talked to death, but it does kind of lead us into current events of stuff we're talking about now. So um, so yeah, uh, essentially uh, you know I don't want to talk about it too much, but it, it sucks because also that day was uh, I was going to record the podcast. Jordan was uh, a a mental health awareness day. I don't know if you, we saw the hashtags going around, and it was great. You know, we had like. Fighters like Max Holloway and, and Robert Whitaker, uh, you know, posting you know posting things uh, about it, which is not just great because it's it's good to bring awareness to the topic. It's just good to bring awareness uh, to a topic that might emasculate some men if they feel like talking about it. So to have masculine men like that talking about it does it a great service, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but 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 you know, and uh, and and of course, uh, you know. Someone I'm lucky enough to call a friend of mine, Mauro Ronaldo, you know, speaking about it, obviously it's a big flag that he waves. He does great stuff for that community there. And, um, and you know, and shouts to him. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of parlay that and t- to touching on something real quick because I, I a lot of people reach out recently. Um, again, it's just it, – it's easy to get, uh, you know, depressed when you're dealing through injuries or health issues. And I'm not going to – for the sake of time here, I'm not going to wind back into it if you've been listening to this podcast or are still listening to it. God bless you, whatever's wrong with you. And two, you, you probably already know my, my health struggle, so I won't get back into it. But, but I think that's why these fighters, kind of getting back to that, why they post on it, is because you know, it doesn't matter how quote-unquote strong you are when you go through periods of isolation and, and you're not able, you know, you're not able to, 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 to be the fish in the water, to be able to do what you love. It really messes with you, and that's something that... Uh, I've had to discover, you know, I've been discovering on my own this year. You know, I'm not going to lie. I've been going through tough times. I think anybody who's listened to my podcast uh, or obviously knows me uh, knows that. And, you know, um, just losing people. You know, I started off the year losing serious relationships in my life to people like co- uh, coaches and like losing people in the real way, like suicide. And um, have lost three uh, friends uh, like that recently. So I just really wanted to, you know, I know it's a week late and we got to get onto the topic here, so I don't want to spend too much time, but I just felt like it was a service to at least bring that up. And uh, I was clearly going through a tough time last week, especially those of you, uh, you know, following me on Twitter could see. And it was just kind of a, a perfect storm, like one of those anger management movies like Adam Sandler, where it's like, okay, I'm not, I know I'm not a normal guy. I know Dan Tom's a little crazy, but I'm not that crazy. And, but when you, you have a bunch of things kind of happen to you, 
um, all at once. Life, life will test you in funny fucking ways, and I'm not going to get you know religious or non-religious about it. However you want to look at it is up to you. But what I will say is, is regardless of your beliefs, being able to speak about things and having people, you know, because I'm a stubborn son of a bitch. So having people, and Jordan, you were one. You reached out to me in DM, so thank you. And, and if you want to touch on this this topic, I'll let you before we move on. But but just people reaching out. And, and again, I mentioned Morrow, not to name drop, but just because he's a powerful person within our community from MMA to the mental health community. And uh, he reached out to me as, as well. Uh, you know, it's almost like he's got a radar for those type of things. That guy's, you know, crazy in a complimentary way like that. Um, so I just wanted to kind of, at least without getting too deep into it, kind of explain where I was at, uh, apologize if, uh, I wasn't tweeting a lot. It wasn't very participatory. I didn't feel like being participatory on the big UFC 229 weekend. Um, so it, it had, it, it had nothing to do with, with, with the, the Connor and Khabib stuff, though. I will say, my God, did it did not help that Dan Tom went on Twitter because as we were talking about, uh, the childish antics that have been, a, have been a storm front of, of, uh, of, of all MMA news lately. I don't know what it is whenever we hit these bumps in, in our sport, like we had with Mayweather McGregor last year. Now, anyways, I'm tangenting it off, but, but let me just tie it off and just say, uh, it's not weak to speak. And uh, thank you guys, more importantly, on a positive note, for whether you're you know, circulating these guys like Morrow's or these UFC fighters' messages, or you're just reaching out to, to nobodies like myself to see if I'm okay. Um, you know, uh, just, just wanted to get that out there. Very well said, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean you, you, you said it really well. I think everyone has, uh, if not personally affected, knows somebody is friends with somebody is related to somebody who has been affected by uh, mental health of some kind, you know, whether it's, you know, just ongoing battles with it or, you know, actually somebody, you know, losing somebody to it. So, uh, there's always somebody who cares about you. Um, there's always somebody who's willing to listen. Uh, it's, it's okay to feel the way you do speak about it. Uh, getting help is not a sign of weakness like Dan said. So well said buddy. And, uh, yeah, any of you guys, I don't know any of you guys, but if you ever need to talk, J. Killian MMA, just tweet at me and I will listen to you and I'll say stupid, funny things. Well, not <laughs> things that I think are funny that you guys will probably not think is funny. I'm always here for any of you, DM on Twitter, whatever you need. It's okay, Jordan. You don't have to apologize for inappropriate humor. Again, if they're listening to this podcast, they're. They're pretty. Uh, they're pretty okay, or at least immune to it. So, so, hey. but, but yeah, I appreciate that message. All right, uh, just pushing forward. Uh, honestly, man, unless there's anything you wanted to mention be- about 229, I-, I-, I don't really have too much to say aside from that. Because let's be honest, as for when we're recording this podcast, not that I like to timestamp these episodes too strongly, but essentially all the talk feels like it's all parlayed into somehow uh, Mayweather Khabib talk, which I don't want to touch with the 10 feet pole. Is that yeah. essentially where we're at right now, Jordan? Kind of. I mean, my, the only couple things that, that there is to say about it, uh, and I think you touched on it pretty well on Twitter, actually, was that uh, Khabib hurt Connor standing up. That's something that everyone needs to acknowledge. And yeah. also, Connor's cardio looked to be better than Khabib's in that fight at some points. So I think that's something to, to take, uh, take into account. And also, I saw some uh, – anytime you get a huge superstar that fights, it's going to bring – the casual fans out of the woodwork. And that's when you start to hear some of the craziest things. Like people were, I saw a lot of Connor fans saying that Connor had to tap to the net crank. And listen, I'm not saying that anyone shouldn't tap to a sub. I've been put in a net crank, not by anyone near as strong as Khabib. And I would tap immediately if Khabib got into that crank. So I'm not, I'm not trying to put any kind of uh, shame upon Connor for tapping, but there, there are a lot of casual fans that I saw on Twitter taking the narrative and said, if he didn't tap his neck, (laughs) 
could have died, you fucking idiots. <laughs> and you're like, come on now. All right, I saw Damian Maya squeeze blood out of Rick's story head like he was popping a grip. All right, there's there's been worse neck cranks in, right. in UFC, let alone in MMA. But, I mean, it, it, it's tough stuff. I mean, if a big, strong dude's got you in a neck crank, fuck that. You should tap out to it. But but it's funny to hear the casual fans in, like, uh, Dan, you and I have both been on radio shows. Uh, obviously, you're, you're a profession. You're on a radio show, but... Uh, I, we've both been lucky enough to be guests on other people's shows sometimes and come in and be the quote-unquote expert and talk about MMA. And it's funny some of the questions you get because I was I was being asked by a guy who's in the, the main, mainstream sports media. He's not technically in MMA media, uh, but but he was asking me things like this. Like, could McGregor's neck have broken him out? Like, I, I mean, I guess if this was a street fight and he was just like, you know, squeezing it until he wanted to kill him maybe. But I mean, that, that, that's that, not that specifically more than like a rear naked choke is dangerous. Like, it, they, they both suck. Like, you have a big, strong dude who wrestles bears squeezing your face. It's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, too. Um, and, and you're right. You know, a lot of that is the casual and it brings it out. But even more so, I think we saw a lot of hardcores and I'm just as guilty of it, too. Uh, and one thing I did want to touch on now that I'm remembering it is I did want to give uh, more credit to Khabib, not because he's lacking any credit. In fact, you know, whatever argument of overinflation of his skill that existed before his fight has multiplied. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but that's just a fact. There's a lot of uh, a lot of hype on him, whether you think it's justified or not. That there is a lot of hype on him, and it's it's influx since. So it's not that he needs any more hype, but I don't feel that I gave him enough credit. And the reason is, is because. And I, 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 I don't know. You tell me what you think of this. I don't want to project my problems, so to speak, onto other people. But I think the problem I had with the fight was one. You know, uh, shout out to Ryan McKinnell on MMA on Sirius uh, XM. Uh, he was sharing our studio a bit uh, on on the fight week. Him and Luke Thomas. Uh, the Luke Thomas show comes in after us on Junkie. We will we'll share our studios on the fight week when they're in town. And he was putting it in a much better way. And he was a pro Khabib guy, right? Not just picking Khabib, um, like actual, you know, the pro Khabib. Because there's a difference. I was picking Connor and getting labeled as pro Connor. But if anybody follows me, I, I'm, I'm a guy you could label as anti Connor if you really listen to these podcasts or read yeah. any of the articles that I've written this year. Um, which is, but again, you pick somebody, you must be their boy, especially, you know, with the casual take. And I think that bleeds over. But back to the hardcores, I think the reason why hardcores, you know, were kind of all over the board, whether they're accurate with their picks or analysis or not, uh, is because just that it's almost like adding gasoline to the fire when you have that casual effect where, especially when you have a contrarian like myself, where I feel like I have to represent the side that is not represented. Now, Part of that is true, and part of that being a hardcore analyst and really watching the tape and digging up the numbers, you'll be able to find some stats and really be a healthy devil's advocate, right? But mm-hmm. it's really easy to cross the line to be from a healthy devil's advocate to being a devil's advocate just to fight the fucking masses because the zombies are coming in and you feel like it's your duty. And I think a little bit of that latter bled onto me to where – even though I was really tempted to, to pick Khabib, my logic at the time was like, Dan, this is just fight picks. Don't take it so fucking seriously. Just because the world is treating this fight and every fight like it's life or goddamn death doesn't mean you have to. You, you put your work in. 
Uh, whether your pick's right or wrong, your analysis is going to be on. So who gives a fuck, you know? You think McGregor, hell, you picked Johnson to beat Khabib. And then, you know, I, I, I went down that path. And I, like Ryan McKinnell said, back to what his quote, I was too kind of involved in the minutia. You can, over, you can overwatch footage, right? You can be too involved. And that's, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the problem. I think like my picks, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it, my picks have gone down since I've done weekly radio because weekly radio, kind of like back to what you were saying, Jordan, you got to have a quick take, a quick opinion especially if you're like actually on a show five days a week. Whereas right. my other part of my job, it's time-taking, precise. Let's sit back and watch. Let's collect information. Let's get a well-thought opinion before we lay it on paper. We're going to edit it a couple times before we publish it. There's this whole process I have to go through, right? Yeah. So it's funny. It's almost like this, this counteracting force. And I'm, I'm kind of going on a diatribe here. But that is kind of how I felt at least my vision was, was kind of askewed. And so... You know, especially if, you know, <laughs> fact here in Dan Tom, maybe he's not in the best state of mind, shouldn't be online, has some alcohol in him. If you saw some inflammatory fleet tweets from me, they weren't, they weren't right in that case. Uh, it's not usually me. There's a lot of people that are really big on that, that are like, you know, people, members of the media and whatnot that, that do that. Nothing wrong with that. But if you know me, and if I'm being honest, that's not my, that's not my spiel. So people, so people were, were questioning that, uh, me on, on Twitter a lot, and I don't blame them for it. So I guess I'm just kind of, that's my answer. Um, to those, but but yeah, and you pointed out one of those tweet, Jordan, and it pissed a lot of people off. Even though that inflammatory tweet was still more sensible than a lot of the other tweets that were floating around, you know, it was it was right. I don't I don't know. I mean, it, the truth pisses people off, I guess. But I mean, those two things were facts. Connor Connor got hurt by Khabib on her feet, and Connor, when everyone thought he was gassed, Khabib looked gassed, and Connor still had gas in the tank. So I mean, but yeah. I guess just to, just to follow up with what you said, two two quick things. Uh, number one, I think that. The, the, and I don't want to discourage people from ever looking at your predictions and your analysis, but I think the best thing for me, I noticed my picks got way better the minute I stepped away from like interviewing fighters and uh, being on the show with Sam constantly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sam, Sam and I are buddies still. We still talk all the time. Uh, but be, being out of the format of having a weekly show where we have fighters come on, you get to know them and you, you get to like them. And it's really hard to make an objective pick, even though you sit here and you say – you know, I'm going to be I'm going to be objective and I'm not going to have show bias towards anybody. You, you take that stuff into account, even if you don't want to. And so, I mean, oh, yeah. there's, times that, there's times that I've sat here and been like, yeah, here's my pick. Here's my pick. I've noticed that since I stopped, uh, you know, interviewing fighters weekly, I've gotten a lot better with my picks because because it allows you, you know, you don't have to have that subtle uh, brain overcoming heart type of thing. And there's still going to be a few. There's guys that, the, you know, Diego Sanchez is a guy that every single time he fights don't trust what I pick yeah. because because it's probably going to wind up me being like Diego has no shot, but Diego, because I love him because I love the guy. It's the reason I got an MMA. 100%. So, so, so that type of stuff, but like just stepping back from it, I've noticed that, that, uh, you know, it's, it's made me better. And just the second thing I was going to say, your, your analysis for the fight, I thought was spot on. I picked Khabib mainly because it, when it boils down to a fight where I think each guy holds a huge advantage, I tend to go with the guy who's got the better wrestling slash traveling. For sure. That's just, just the way I typically go. But I thought your analysis was spot on because Habib had been hit by left hands a lot of times in a lot of his fights, specifically by Johnson. Johnson cracked him. And so I thought it was like your the way you the way you went with it was was good analysis. I understood it. I, I picked differently, but I mean I, I think that even though you can get caught up in the minutia, I think that the 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 reasoning 
you showed your work well. If I put this in a mathematical standpoint, you may have gotten the wrong answer, right. but you showed your work correctly. <laughs> now, I appreciate that, man. I mean, we were kind of re-breaking it down with Andrew Simon on the show today where, you know, uh, again, I, 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 no one was making me take my medicine, but they were talking about being on the wrong side of that pick. And I kind of just chimed myself in and said, well, I definitely got to take my medicine for being wrong on the pick. But, you know, there are things where it's, it's funny, like, uh, you know, people still don't want to give credit. You know, the Connor fans don't want to give Khabib credit for, for, for dropping them. It wasn't a slip. It was a legitimate, it was a legitimate punch, yep. a legitimate knockdown. Um, yep. And then on the, the, the flip side of it, the Khabib fans don't want to give any credit where they're like, oh, well, Khabib took that round off and da-da-da-da. I'm like, you know, I'm like, regardless if he took the round off and sure, uh, at the end of the day, Connor, though he could, he won the round. Ultimately, didn't put any meaningful offense to capitalize or put any threat of winning. Yeah, I definitely can see that, and that that ultimately was the problem for him. Um, you know, not not that he couldn't wrestle. I don't I don't think any Connor fans or people like me that were just picking Connor to win thought he was going to go and and stuff every takedown or just completely out wrestle him. You know, so I, I I you know and 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 I I think it was just. Um, I, you know, again, like kind of, not to beat, beat a dead horse, but it, it separates people who can have an intelligent conversation, I think, about a fight to people who can't. But even people who normally can, it's just, again, it's something about these big fights, Jordan, I guess what we're saying here, it, it definitely carries this other vibe because even from like sensible people, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a little more dancing in, in, in the right pick of than normal from people who don't normally do it or... You know, like especially on a matchup like this, where it was pretty clear, no matter who you pick, what the dynamic was. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure why either side should be surprised, whether you were on the right side or the wrong side. You know, I, I think really it's the Conor McGregor effect, honestly. You're I think, right. I think yeah. people people have such a vitriol towards him, or they love him more than like, you know, their family. It's weird. It's it it's, it's weird. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm in the very small minority where like. I like watching him fight, but I don't, I don't really have a, an opinion either way from the guy. Like, I don't, I don't hate him. I understand why he does the things he does. He's a great uh, promoter of the sport, but I mean, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe it's because I haven't been into like the pro wrestling thing for a very long time. Mm. Like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not lured in by the gimmick. And uh, just w- one last thing before we, please, that, I was, please, I, I just put a shit on the guy that I was arguing with on Twitter real quick, yeah. who told me that Chad Mendez would out wrestle Habib in the MMA match. I love Chad Mendez. That dude is awesome. But get the fuck out of here. Chad Mendes is not wrestling Habib Nurmagomedov in our MMA match. So I just want to shit on that guy. I don't even remember his name. He just got at me on Twitter. We argued for a minute. And then I was like, all right, dude, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you anymore. Hey, you know what? In his defense, I could see somebody bringing up that argument. But ultimately, I would side with you, Jordan. Because just getting super technical on it, um, as somebody who for, for a fellow combat project, I had to go back and watch like all of Chad Mendes's like collegiate yeah. wrestling footage. And if you, it's it's a really exemplary one. But if you look at the guy he lost to, which was the same guy over and over again, he was the same height as Khabib, and he was even though it's it's different folk style. To though sure. Khabib does have some folk elements because uh, he actually did wrestling training and went to Russia for that. He didn't just do the sure. typical sambo in in Dagestan. Um, a real similar technique is just that leg riding. Yeah. Um, now, now, you know, uh, obviously Khabib, you know, kind of does it like, the, you know, does different variations or finished products, the Navy ride against the fence, which, you know, everybody credits him being the first person to do it. Although BJ Penn doing it to American kickboxing <laughs> Academy's team captain five years prior was the real thing. People tend to forget that, you know, this, sorry, this Ronda Rousey.com, like BJ Penn.com, the Conor McGregor boxing, making his own thing. Like BJ Penn. It, BJ did it first. I know I, this is going to be the BJ did it first podcast, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you're like the you're like South Park. Since that, BJ did it. 
<laughs> yep, yep, yeah, exactly. But hey, th- these are the more of the history history based protecting neck podcasts here, folks. But anyways, but but yeah, um, yeah anyways, but but you know, he to, to back back your point, I guess, Jordan. Uh, uh, guys who could kind of have that funk style and that leg riding style seem to always kind of uh, plague Chad Mendez there, and that's kind of what Khabib specializes in. So, uh, oh, and, and I didn't, I didn't, you know, when I was arguing with this guy, I didn't mean it as a slight to Chad Mendez. Right. I really like Mendez. I've literally watched every fight Chad Mendez has ever had in a major promotion. I've watched every single one. I think he's a very good wrestler. I think that I've I've also watched every fight Khabib's ever had, and just watching them, knowing the size difference, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, and but the, that being and my last thing I just want to cap it off uh, since we're since I was there backing Khabib there um, yep. is that I do not hate Khabib Nurmagomedov again. If it came off that way, it was just me kind of playing the other side just because there was so much vitriol going to the other side um, that it was I felt it was blinding everybody, but really it was blinding me just as well as, as everybody else for what that's worth. And uh, Khabib definitely does get uh, man. I think he is the most dominant lightweight. You know, I think he's more dominant than Tony Ferguson. I yep. think he could be. I think he could go down as being the most dominant of all time. But people need to slow their fucking roll on greatest of all time. I hate this. This is what's missing in the pound for pound argument. It's all subjective, so it's all bullshit. But this is what's missing in these arguments, Jordan. Tell me if I'm wrong. Is that it gets to a point where there are real facts and things you can bring in. And we can talk about those things briefly before we move on here. Because I definitely want to get to this, this topic. But it's like the car analogy, you know. Like at a certain point. Yeah, the fucking 98 is going to have a little bit more features than the 97. And guess what, everybody? The 1999 is going to have more features than the 98. If we do that stupid math, all we can do is say, this guy is not the best. Let's not enjoy what's in front of us because the next thing's better. Or we can just look like idiots and be like, this guy's the best ever. And then we can be that same idiot who's not even a year later is doing a complete flip on his opinion. I'm not of those two thoughts. I'm more of a guy that can appreciate the new stuff. I like it, but I also appreciate a fucking muscle car, you know, and, and also I appreciate things like narrative. I feel like narrative kind of goes in to, you know, w- was this a model of car or was this a model of fighter that changed the environment around it? Did it happen at an important time in the automotive or as we're talking about fighting industry? And I feel like none of those things are ever taken into a fact. I feel like most of the pound for pound conversations that I hear, Jordan, again, I want you to wait, 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 wait in here. Uh, on it as well, but I just feel like they're all devoid of that, and they're basically mainly based around, oh, well, this has the 7.6 feature. Yeah, well, this guy came out with the 7.7 feature, and we're just arguing about who has the newer technology rather than incorporating the overall equation. Does that make sense? And oh, am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're not wrong at all. That, and that makes a ton of sense. And I think that this is a topic that you could, we can literally talk for three hours. Right, right, right. But I, I guess just to sum up, I, I think this is the same. I, I don't think it's any different than any other sport where you talk about it. You have people that argue about Michael Jordan and LeBron James. The the fact of the matter is that like they're both great, and you have to take it. You know, you have to take Habib's dominance into context with who he's fighting, when he's fighting, and you you can't say that he's better than someone else because the the rules were different then. The you know what people had available to them is different. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's just. It, it's comparing apples to oranges almost, even though or I should say this. It's like comparing <laughs> it's like comparing apple pie to apples. It's like, yeah, they're both the same thing, but they're way different. So it's really hard to say one's better because is Habib in his prime better than BJ Penn in his prime? I don't know because everything the training is different. Yeah. The, the the science we have behind nutrition is different. Sorry, like my dog shaking. Shake. Oh, who knows? <laughs> you heard that? Oh, mine does it all the time. Don't worry. 
<laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, just everything. Like, these guys, and not to say that, you know, BJ might be a bad example because he's not a guy who ever really had to struggle financially. Yeah. But, but you know, uh, like, you know, the, these are guys that nowadays can make a living just just having MMA be there, be there full out. You know, there, there are champs that – there were guys who were champions in the UFC back in the day that had to work their regular job. And they're, you know, they're, you're still, Shane Carwin was going to work as an engineer and then going to fight Brock Lesnar. So like, it's, it's crazy. And that's just a few years ago. Yeah. So, so yep. like everything is different now. And you could, you could sit here and say that I think so-and-so's skill set in, if, if you were able to have this weird fantasy time machine and have this guy fight in his prime versus this guy fight in his prime, you could analyze that and say, I think this guy would win, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's greater to the sport. Because like you said, there is a narrative and there's reason for, there's precedent for saying that so-and-so ushered this in and helped, helped get MMA to this level. Like there are many things that go into someone being great. And if you want to say that we'll never see someone who's better than so-and-so, you're out of your damn mind and you've never read a history book because there are kids being born today that are going to come up with better science they're going to come up with a better routine for knowing how to do things. We're going to be smarter about certain things. We're going to be smarter about training. We're going to know what works better because we're going to have the data over the last 25, 35 years to show us if you do this, this will get better. As opposed to the guys right now who may be going through the trials on that, figuring out how, how to do things the right way. So, so I could sit here and, in my opinion, the most talented fighter I've ever watched fight is John Jones. To sit here and say there will never be another John Jones is arrogant and stupid. Because in 15, 20 years from now, kids grew up watching John Jones, and they're going to have way more at their disposal, and they're going to be athletic, and they're going to know what they're doing way earlier than a lot of these guys did. So, you know, it's 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 just a silly argument. I don't think you'll ever be able to definitively say this person is the greatest. Yeah, it's true. I think a lot of these uh, topics and the way you, you, you phrased them, I think we'll, we'll kind of retread some of this with the topic we're covering today. But just to kind of put a tie on that, um, I, I also like that you mentioned the, the time periods and what, what facilitates them as far as rules and eras is a real important thing to note about that because we just talked about this argument um, in other sports because it, we, we, how do we compare it? MMA so young. Well, let's compare it to other sports. That's the typical way, right? And in other sports, and you'll appreciate this because we brought up basketball and, you know, uh, the Chicago Bulls, which, uh, you know, obviously my favorite team, uh, obviously you living in the, the greater area there. Um, but it, 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 I was bringing them up where it's like, okay, it's NBA, for example, you know, you can be some of the early teams where – you know, uh, the L.A. Lakers, for example, it's like some of those championships where they were the Minneapolis uh, Lakers when there was fucking eight teams. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and then then you have now, you know, the opposite spectrum uh, where today where now it's just fucking everybody's just buying their team and it's all money, 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 which we saw inklings of that in the 90s coming. But even in the 90s, a great team like the Bulls, as good as Jordan was, as much of a dynasty, that team, like they weren't like a stacked, like bought fucking team. Like they had fucking Luke Longley. And Bill Wellington, you know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> the most whitest fucking guys, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, the, the people forget about these little details, but these little different iterations you have to factor in when you're talking about greatest right. or pound for pounds and all these things. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and just and just to, just to yeah, prove please, your point here, like you could you could sit here and say the 2018 Warriors would they beat the the '94 Bulls? M- maybe. Like they they may, they may beat the Jordan Bulls, but that doesn't mean they're a better team because the the game's different now. Too, you have yeah, five guys, yeah. you have five guys shooting the three now. Back then, it was like you know that that wasn't the game. It, it was much more physical. There was a lot. The, the rule set was different. So it's like it, it's so hard to ever pin down one one thing is better than the other. 
Absolutely. Um, on that note, let, let's knock out these last, last things on the, on the list and get to the list. Uh, the only thing I want to touch on UFC 230, obviously I don't have to go through the timeline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know the current events for the main event by, right now. But right now, Jordan, the main event stands is Derek Lewis versus Daniel Cormier. Do you have any quick thoughts on the matchup? And mainly, do you think it's even going to happen from uh, it's going to come together? I know I, I shouldn't even throw that out there, but with the with the health issues and the fact that New York released a statement that they're not done doing tests yet. Uh, um, I'm going to say, yeah, I do think it happens, actually. And my <laughs> uh, my thoughts are my balls was hot. And my, <laughs> my first of all, Derek Lewis is a goddamn national treasure. That is. is. Uh, and then, I mean, I mean, in all reality, DC's faced big punchers before. I don't see DC having any trouble <laughs> fighting uh, fighting Derek Lewis. I like Derek Lewis. I think the lead up to the fight will be great because it's not going to be this weird fake animosity. I mean, what, what did Derek Lewis say? He said, I'll fight. Shit, I'll fight any motherfucker for money. <laughs> like, yep, yep. I love that. Like, no, look, that, that's super refreshing. So, I, I mean, it, it, yeah, I think it happens. I think DC wins easy, but I'm looking forward to it. Me, me too. I do think it happens. Um, I just, I, I didn't like the matchup. I didn't like the shuffle for, for all the reasons all you guys did. I'm not gonna bear repeating that. I'm worried for, um, not not so much for both guys. I guess Derek Lewis because of his ad, attitude, as troubling as it can be. It's also refreshing because the fact that Derek Lewis is just so honest. You know, saying that Stipe deserves it more than me. That uh, you know, uh, you know, he doesn't. You know, and all, all these things. Like he's just so brutally honest. You know, in ways that you would argue maybe not help him, but it, it doesn't affect him. You know, uh, he can come in, and, and it's so hard to interview and get a beat on what he's thinking. It doesn't feel like he's taking training seriously ever. And his most honest answers still don't make him look good in that department where he's like, oh, I finally started training more than a half hour a day. Like, only now? What have you been doing the rest of the time? So it's almost upsetting to hear that a guy didn't want the title shot is getting the title shot, you know, and all these things. Sure. But for me, of, of course, I'm happy for Derek Lewis at the end of the day. Of course, I want him to get paid. I just feel like D- Daniel Cormier is tempting fate here. Um, and again, I said it on Twitter, so I'll repeat it here. Uh, I'm not sure. Again, DC obviously should be the favorite. I'm probably going to end up picking him come time, but I might not because I'm going to say it right here. This has this has everything written on it for the MMA gods to go full full ham on us to like you know like like you know Daniel Cormier's like Edward Norton in American History X. Like, all right, I'm going to take this quick shower, then I'm going to go out to the weight room out in the yard, <laughs> lift weight, and as he's saying it, the skidheads start filing in. Right, and at the end of the line, there's that big dude that comes in the end, right? And that's Derek Lewis. I'm gonna maybe stop doing a, a scene by scene breakdown. I stop my scene by scene breakdown there. I don't right. think I, I, right. I don't need to describe that scene to the listeners, Jordan. But you know what happens from there. First thing that happens. No. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I get what you're saying with that, but man, I, I don't know. I just feel like I, I, Derek Lewis has. <laughs> I think people tend for like he was getting his, he was getting beat that whole fight. <laughs> yes, yeah. He, he caught Volk, he caught Volkanovski. That's who he fought, right? Volkov. Yep. Who did he fight? What, Volkov. Volkov. Too many goddamn Russians. But <laughs> he caught Volkov with a big punch. Honestly, he was losing that entire fight. If he does any of that stuff to DC, he's gonna get he'll he'll get beat. I like Derek Lewis a lot. He's got massive holes in his game. Uh, I, 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 that's not to say he can't win. He punches hard enough that he can knock anybody out. But I feel like DC has trained almost his entire life on, okay, this guy's a big puncher. I got to watch out. This guy's a big puncher. Ozdemir is a big puncher. He's got to watch out. Rumble's a big puncher. He's got to watch out. Dan Henderson is a big puncher. You got to watch out. 
you know, so like he's he's constantly fought these guys who are big punchers, and DC always he just out techniques and he out athleticisms them, and he's I, I just feel like he's not really going to have a lot of problems with with uh, with Derek Lewis. I like Derek Lewis, but let's not forget he's he's got some strange L's on his record. Didn't Mat- didn't Mitrione knock him out? Yeah, he did. He did. He does have some strange <laughs> losses. Sean Jordan didn't Sean Jordan knock him out? Yeah, that weird hook kick. That hook kick knocked him out. So I mean, I'm not you know, and that's not to say a guy can't lose to one guy and then beat a different guy. I'm just right. saying, in my estimation right now, there are two people on the planet that can beat DC. One of them is Cain Velasquez, his teammate, and he'll never fight him. And one is John Jones, and he's, you know, uh, who knows if if clean John Jones will, would it be able to beat Dana Cormier? But I, I, guess, I don't know if that's my, my hot take of the MMA world, but I don't think DC loses to anybody besides those two guys, and I don't even know if they'll ever fight him. Yeah, on paper, I think you're absolutely right, Jordan. But here's here's what's interesting to me is that um, laying out those the ways that Derek Lewis lost in particular, and if people listen to this now, I encourage you to pull up uh, Derek Lewis's sure dog record now or or after this because this was an interesting tidbit that we'll leave off on. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had Derek, we had, you know, uh, the, the counter forearm shot from Matt Mitrione, the weird hook kick from Sean Jordan, uh, the disciplined performance, the Mark Hunt on just striking at range, which is what Volkov was doing and winning until the end. But keeping those things in mind and keeping in mind how Derek Lewis can, you can never get a serious answer from him, Jordan. The most serious answer that I've ever got from him, Jordan, the most serious analytic uh, sentence I've ever heard leave Derek Lewis's mouth was a spookily accurate one. And it was a while ago. It was, I think, after the Roy Nelson fight because everyone was talking about how, how boring it was. But he was saying... And this is really true. If you look at his record, it's really true to the exact point. I, I really couldn't find anything where it wasn't true. When you look at how these fights played out, he goes, everybody who's tried to wrestle me loses. I always win those fights. It's the yeah. people who try to strike with me, ironically, is when I lose for the guy who, who is known as the knockout king, right? right? And that's what scares me is because DC's right hand, where he gets his knockouts with, is the one that's hurt. And he's already admitting he can barely make a fist right now. He's already admitting that wrestling is going to be the game plan. That's not a bad game plan for a guy with a bad back who admits that he doesn't have gas. Yeah, wrestle his ass till he gets tired. Then you finish him any way you want, which is probably how it's going to go down on paper, right? Yeah. But again, with that interesting piece of analysis, which is pretty rock solid when you match that analysis with the Derek right. Lewis Sherdog record, it scares the fuck out of me. You, and you, you add in the algebra equation with add MMA gods, X factor, <laughs> it scares the fuck out of me. And I'll just That's- leave it at that. You know, that's a good point, and just ten, my 10-second 10 retort would be your – that's totally right, and that's actually really – that's really good insight from Derek Lewis. Uh, but I will say none of the dudes who have tried to wrestle him have been able to pick Josh Barnett over their head. <laughs> it's true. Not a lot of those guys exist in the heavyweight division, <laughs> no, as we're seeing now. Uh, Ryan Bader is reminding us of which – speaking of which, let, let's touch up on this last – let's clean up this last bit before we move on. I'm going to tie in PFL and Bellator together because they've kind of dominated this last week or the week surrounding the UFC 229 and UFC news this past month. Um, PFL and Bellator, uh, of course, we had Ryan Bader reminding us uh, why, why, why some of us, including myself, picked him as an early favorite, but also reminding us the state of wrestling in the division. And I dare say, I don't want to step on it too much in case he comes up, but part of the reason sparking, there's been a lot of resurgent performances in MMA, Jordan, let's be honest. There's been a lot as of late. And uh, Fedor getting some resurgence uh, going himself. And, of course, PFL doing well with PFL 9. We're coming up on PFL 10 this weekend. Jordan, did you watch any of these events that I'm speaking of? And what are your thoughts of PFL and even Bellator's recent run of big shows? 
Um, yeah, I've watched all the Bellator stuff. I, I, I got I to be I like. I know a lot of the people who are fighting in the PFL. Uh, I think it's a great format for them, but I, I have trouble even finding it. Yeah. Like it's hard for me to watch the fights. So like unless I I, I haven't watched any of the PFL stuff recently. I've, I've obviously seen the results and I've watched some highlights, but unless I know that it's coming up and like I'm reminded of it constantly, I, I don't even know where to find them. So it's it's a tough it's it's a tough sell for that. But the Bellator stuff, yeah, I have watched, and in all honesty, it's gone about the way I thought it would, except that Fedor's done exceptionally better than I. Than I had assumed. Uh, Bader is kind of dominating the way I thought he would. Uh, I, I thought Fader would beat Chael Sonnen uh, just because Chael's fight IQ seems to be wonky to say. To say <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> with doing weird roles and stuff. He thinks he's Tony Ferguson now trying to roll out of stuff. Yeah. But uh, uh, I, I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that anytime Fedor's fighting and like in fun fights and he's winning, like I'm fucking 100% there for it. Uh, so I'm all about that. I think Bellator's doing really well. I hope they continue to grow and do better. It seems like uh, they're they've got a lot of financial backing with uh, the way that how the hell do you, do you say the zone? Is that is that how you say it? The zone? Yeah, I, I'm calling it the Asian, but yeah, I think the Asian way better. The Asian man. The Asian. Bring it back, uh, Asian dog. Sorry, Asian. go ahead. <laughs> no, I, it seems like they're they're steering things in a good direction because they. They just bought the rights to Golden Boy stuff and uh, uh, Canelo fights. So yeah. I, it's just, they've got a lot of money behind them. So I, I hope that they're able to continue to get some good talent in there and, and put together fun fights for everybody. So I think uh, I think competition for the UFC is a good thing. And uh, and the, the, the tournament so far has actually been pretty fun. Yeah, I, I agree with all those notes. Uh, I'm digging it. I'm definitely excited for Bellator Hawaii, which I, I'm still working out if – junkie on what they're doing there but i'm gonna be i told them that i'm paying my own my own way down there because uh, i was going to go there anyways the 12th for my grandmother's birthday and the shows are on the 14th and 15th so i'll just go ahead and stay down there uh shouts to anybody who's going to be down there for those but i like what bellator is doing and and yeah um i had those fights going go, uh, going the way that they went as well but i will say something that i think that you know you're talking about chael's decision making being wonky i feel like Unless you came up in that boxing style camp, which is rare for MMA fighters, where you build the camp around yourself in the right. sense that you're your own coach to that extent. Right. Um, if you've been doing that for your whole career, that's one thing. But if you haven't and you start running your camps later in your career, I think it's pretty much bad every time. And yeah. I will say that not just because we've seen guys do better who haven't gone that way and most guys who have gone that way do bad. But even guys who have gone that way and done bad i.e. Vanderlei and Fedor, I would argue, even though they got different results recently, right? Vanderlei lost, Fedor won. I think everybody can agree that both guys looked better than they thought. Now, Vanderlei went, of course, to train with Evalu Kautai with uh, Andre Dita, uh, which is a really good style and fit for him, a very relevant camp that trains like Francisco Trinaldo and uh, Lovato Jr. and those guys, and whereas Fedor... Instead of doing this whole camp at Story School, went to Alexander Nevsky's, trading with guys like Nemkov, uh, Tokov, and younger Russian guys. I would argue that had a lot to do why we saw better versions. That's fair. That's to- yeah, that's totally a fair point. I think those guys are both notorious for not having the greatest training camps. So the the idea that they're not not really relinquishing control, but like at least accepting more help from maybe different sources is a good thing. Yep, yep. And then just on the last note on this before we finally, as I promised, folks, we are going to jump to it. Um, 
but uh, PFL, I've been digging. Uh, when they were on the same night the other night, Jordan, I had – granted, PFL was on the big TV because it was on uh, MSNBC. And again, I'm having trouble. I work in the media and I'm having trouble finding it too as well. I don't know what the gap is there because PFL is reaching to all the major outlets and even reaching to like – you know, like we're doing coverage and like PFL videos for Junkie Radio. I know Adam the Comedian has been doing PFL videos. So I don't know what's going on there, but they're definitely like reaching out and media is reciprocating their efforts um, but they're definitely missing something there. But I will say, I was watching more PFL than Bellator. Now, it might be I had Bellator on the smaller laptop as opposed, again, I had PFL on the big TV where I was using my DAsian account, uh, which my DAsian accounts work great. I'm seeing mixed reviews. It looks like everybody who's further away from the West Coast has shitty connection, whereas people close to the West Coast, like me, don't seem to be complaining. That's my canary in my cold mind. Feel free to shout at me on Twitter on that. Um, but I was watching more of the PFL, uh, and I think I think it might be just because of the tournament stakes, you know, because we're watching it unfold right now. They're in the playoffs where these guys are having to fight twice in one night for their brackets. So it was very compelling, you know. Um, shouts to uh, uh, Sean O'Connell, the real C. O'Connell, probably one of the more entertaining storylines to watch uh, last weekend. Yeah, kind of kind of crazy, man, because his first fight was really close. Yeah. It, it, I actually thought he lost that fight, and then uh, – and then goes out and uh, and beats beats Milena Rama with that that knockout. Uh, my boy uh, <laughs> Rashid Magomedov, who I've always been a massive fan of. Yes, Rashid Magomillionaire. Sorry, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I, I just drinks them. By the way, go ahead. <laughs> uh, but man, he uh, he knocked out Tiago Torres in one of the saddest knockouts I've ever seen. For Torres, <laughs> like, he's like, ah, fuck. He just rolled over and. <laughs> so bad for him. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> He's so animated too when he does it, right? <laughs> It was like if you're ever like, um, it's like if you're ever wrestling with like a, a family member that's like maybe a little older, a couple years older than you, and like you're like, oh, I'm gonna get him, I'm gonna jump on his back, and then like you slip too far over and you fall down, and you're like, oh, fuck, yep, <laughs> yep. this guy's gonna beat me up now. And that's exactly what it was. He went for that like, like I don't know, it was a knee bar or a kill hook, and like Magomedov pulls out of it, and then Tiago Tamara just rolls, just curls up on his side. He's like, all right, just punch me until until they stop it. Yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, exactly, man. Exactly. No, no. That, that's a that's a great great depiction of that there. But yeah, um, I guess that, that that wraps it for that. Uh, hey, you know, since we're we're about forty five minutes in, do you want to just knock out the last? We'll, we'll break now. Do a quick break now and, and knock out the uh, uh, last forty five minutes uh, on just the topic. Keep it a clean cool. cut. Yep, sounds good. All right, cool. Well, on that beat, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to break down the top five resurgent performances in MMA right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Cucarachas enojadas Right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast for the top five resurgent performances in MMA with my special guest co-host, Jordan Killian. And Jordan, uh, I think as per usual, I usually seem like I usually kind of give the steering wheel to my guests for good manner. So I'm going to get out of the driver's seat. We'll do a little bit of a Chinese fire drill before we start our road trip here. Um, you will take the wheel, sir, and maybe start us off with number five, because for those listening, as per usual, we will go back and forth, 
going from five to one, double diving, if you will, if there's crossover, which there may be on this list, and uh, after which we will get to your, the listener suggestions and lists before we clean it up with honorable mentions. So now that I'm out of the driver's seat, Jordan, you can uh, go ahead and get us into gear, man. Um, what was your opinion on the list, and, 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 and did you have a, a hard time getting this list down, first of all? Yeah, I did. I mean, it's it's a fun topic when when we were going back and forth trying to decide what topic we were going to do. This one and one other one stuck out to me. So so I'm glad we went with this one because I think like my one, two, and three were pretty set. Like when I first thought about it, like my process. Now we've talked about it before. My process for this is like I go down and I make a list just off the top of my head, and then I go through and do some research and see what corroborates. And like if anything's like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that, and I should I should swap that out. But like with this, my top three were kind of what I was already thinking about, so that was good. But it was the four and five that I had trouble getting set. So my number five, I don't know if this is bending the rules because it's not necessarily a huge resurgence. It's more of like a weird longevity that I don't think I ever anticipated coming. But I did look through his record and I found one that that you could you could argue is a is a resurgence. It's Mr. Ezekiel Chope himself, Alexi Olenek. Nice, my, nice. Um, Alexi Olenek has been fighting since 1934, it seems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the dude's like 41. He has, yes. he has some insane, he has like 70 fights or something like that, which is MMA fights. That's just MMA fights. That's insane. Uh, the, the dude started fighting, I want to say in the late 90s. I'm, gonna, I'm looking at his record right now. Yeah, 96. Yeah. Not even the late 90s. The mid 90s. Rocco's Modern Life was on TV when he started Jesus. fighting. Just think about that. That predates guys like Orlovsky, Barnett, uh, Couture. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that like pre- predates the guys you make fun of for being old, by the way. Dudes who have been retired for five years. <laughs> like, he's been <laughs> before that. So, like, uh, Alexi Olenek still fighting, still uh, getting performance of the nights, subbing top ten guys. It's kind of crazy. He's 41 years old. Um, he's won multiple tournaments. If I wanted to get technical and go through, I did find a little stretch in his career where he did have a bit of a resurgence he had a weird little like a six fight run where he only won two fights he went two and four um and these were it was a mix of like random russian cards and bellator cards and stuff like that and he didn't even lose the really bad guys like he lost to neil grove who was a very underrated fighter uh jeff monson obviously a good good fighter um so he had but but he had a stretch there from i want to say it was like 09 to 2012 where he lost four of six fights and at that point, he's in his mid to late 30s. You would think that a lot of guys would uh, maybe hang it up at that point. But nope, since losing to Jeff Monson in March of 2012, he's gone 15-2, and two, including 6-2 and two in the UFC with wins over Travis Brown, Mark Hunt, Junior Albini, Vic Pesta, Jared Rocheholt, Anthony Hamilton, Krokop. Dude. Like he's got, got some good wins. So I, I, it's the weirdest longevity of a career I could ever anticipate because this is a dude I think the first time I ever watched him fight was on a really old M1 card maybe or it might even been one of his first Bellator cards back in like 2010 where it was the the heavyweight quarterfinals or something like that but uh, either way I never thought in a million years that almost 10 years from now this dude would be a top 5 UFC heavyweight so uh, Olenek's my, my, my number 5 pick that's a great pick, man. Uh, I didn't even think about that one, and it, it's perfect. It definitely fits the definition for, you know, resurgences. But may, not not the nitpick, but I might I might have missed it just because I was so blown away by that name that I just I missed on the radar. But was there a specific performance? Because uh, you could argue maybe a lot of these guys too. The great part about this is you could argue multiple different performances that represent the same resurgence. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, I guess I guess with mine more more than like specific performances, I kind of thought about it too as like uh, his career had a big performance. But I guess if I had to choose one as like a big career uh, like a, a comeback would be maybe maybe subbing uh, maybe coming out and subbing. Uh, Junior Albina after after getting really just beat up by Curtis Blades in that fight. Yeah, uh, that's true. And, uh, he's forty years old. He goes up against this young up and comer. Gets gets beat up pretty bad. Now he's fighting another kind of up and comer young kid that's got some talent and goes out and subs him and then goes and subs Mark Hunt again. So if I had if I had to find one specific one, maybe it's that. I would argue between that one or the Mark Hunt one. I mean, and that's yeah. that's the kind of you know. Hopefully, it didn't confuse you all too much, but to me, from my point of view, when we were discussing it. Uh, like I said, Jordan, you know, I like the way to, t- I, to title it this way because it gives us more flexibility to jump in between these because, yeah. again, you could, there's no wrong answer in that sense. You know, you could have picked, you could really pick either of those and they represent the same um, resurgence. And, uh, and, and, yeah. and th- I was, I guess because I, when I initially thought of this topic, I was kind of worried that not so much that it would be limited. They all surprised me in that sense as far as the depth. But as far as the ones that would come to the top of the surface, but this already proving even more so that that this is a, a pretty a pretty deep topic. So um, I like that pick even more, Jordan, because as you know, Dan Tom tends to go a little bit hipster for my number five. Yeah, and uh, this one I was probably beating myself up on the most because I, I was fighting for order, and some that I ended up leaving out, I felt less bad about leaving out after rewatching it. Um. Because a lot of these, like, you know in your head, and you don't have to rewatch as much as maybe an, another topic would require you to watch tape. But I don't know about you, Jordan, but where I find myself having to rewatch tape for fights that I think I know or think I wouldn't need to go back and watch is when I'm having two fights kind of bucking for contention. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. I go and rewatch it and see which one gives me more of that emotion, which one takes me back in time more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because this kind of a, a list, there's not really a wrong answer, not just within... Uh, a person's career, like we pointed out with Alexi Olenek, but there's really not a wrong answer overall. So I would argue slash encourage future guests uh, when you're trying to sort a list, don't worry about what people think or what should be a top five. What is your top five? What, what hits you? And the one I wanted to go, I, it does hit me. I think it's a better pick overall. Um, I bet it'll be represented, if not in your list, other people's lists, and it will age better than what I actually picked for my number five. <laughs> but the reason why I picked my number five is because this other cat, and we'll, we'll, we'll get around to it, I'll, I'll mention it when it pops up, he's a great, and he's a guy that's probably been in my past list and my guest past list. In other words, there's plenty of time to talk about him, whereas this guy, he's a former champion as well. He's a great as well. But he really doesn't come up in many lists, especially Dan Tom's lists. Uh, maybe the style of fighter he is, the type of career he has. But this topic, top five resurgent performance, this is the one time where I can pick this one performance that whether you were a fan of Benson Henderson or not, you appreciated this fight. And that was at UFC Fight Night 60 back in February at Denver, Colorado in 2015 when he went up to welterweight. Uh, for the first time, to face Brandon Thatch. Yeah. Now, he wasn't on a, a huge downfall, but he was he was about, I, I don't have it in front of me, but he was, uh, I believe, one in three kind of heading into that fight. He had the knockout lo- loss to RDA. He had a submission loss to Anthony Pettis. Um, he, had the de- he had a decision loss, I believe, in there. Now, within that, you know, his most resurgent performance, you could argue before that, he showed a bit of vintage, vintage Henderson when he got the finish against Rustam Khabilov. But again, it was 
that fight was sandwiched between Benson getting stopped twice, and then you also had split decisions that either didn't go Benson's way or that he won and probably arguably lost. There were quite a few of those, you know, let, let's be honest. Yeah. So that really kind of washed it away. And at that point, we really felt like we saw what we were going to get from Benson Henderson. And I would also argue that this was probably Benson Henderson's highest value since he first came onto the scene in the WEC where he was either scoring submission wins or putting on fight of the nights against Donald Cerrone, escaping submissions. And we really didn't see that Benson Henderson we got to the UFC. In fact, it was a really impressive win streak. But the reason why he didn't make my top, top five lightweight win streaks uh, back back a couple episodes ago, ladies and gents, is because it wasn't very exciting. It was a lot of it was a lot of decisions. Um, it's not like Benson was that exciting on the mic, right? It was always this weird, odd, awkward, thank you, Jesuses, or, you know, when he gets a, the while he awarded one of the worst decisions that he gets, and he, you know, when the crowd's booing him, he's like, this is a good time to propose to my wife, and he felt so bad for Benson, right, God. after the Josh Thompson. If you ever do, like, a top five cringes, that's my number one, because I, I yes. had to when that happened. Like, that, I was, like, biting my shirt. It was like I was watching an episode of The Office. Oh, It was awful. I didn't leave the room. It was terrible. Oh, perfect gift right there. Yeah, yeah. Steve Carell? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I was so – I felt so bad. Like, I was probably at, like, my least Benson Henderson fandom. So, in other words, I probably had least empathy or sympathy for the guy, yet was just – I couldn't stop cringing for him at that moment, you know? It was bad. That, that's a good pick, though, man. I think I think the, the – the big thing that you hit on was that's his highest value. I agree because, like, if you look at his his fights before that, so he he went he gets kind of gifted a split decision by Melendez. That was a really really close fight. Yeah, uh, I thought Melendez won that fight. Okay. I thought Melendez fight that one too, or uh, won that fight too. And then Pettis subs him, and then he fights a really close fight with Josh Thompson. That I think you could easily argue Josh Thompson beat him. Right. Um, then then like you said, he beats Hobby Log, which is a, a good win. Then he gets knocked out by Dos Anjos. He gets beat by Cerrone. Then he goes up and beats Thatch. And then right after that, coming off this really high, he fights Masvidal and gets really gifted a decision because yep. I thought Masvidal beat him in that fight too. Me too. And that's, that was his last fight in the UFC. So you're right, man, because it was like bad performance, bad performance, bad performance, really, really good performance, and then another not-so-great performance. And but yeah. you could argue, even though he's on a two-fight win streak, that he's still uh, trying to pick himself up from that slump because it got worse for him after that when he went to Bellator. It was real I, bad. Rashkov beat him, and then he, he only beat – uh, pitbull because of an injury and yeah, yep. and then the split decision. Yeah, just not not kind of back to old Benson for a second there. So yeah, I just I wanted to get Benson in there. It was more just because I don't feel like he's ever going to end up on any of my list ever again. <laughs> so Fair. he's my number yeah. number five there, um, and, I, and I'll revisit what what it could have been. But uh, who knows? Maybe it's your number four, Jordan. What do you got for number four? Uh, my number four. I'm sticking in the heavyweight division. I'm going uh, Alistair Overeem. Um, Overeem has had a couple nice. creative resurgences, I think. Yes. Uh, I'll kind of I'll kind of start this on a on a macro level and take it down to a micro. Uh, Alistair Overeem, uh, between 2006 to 2007, had a stretch where he was two and five, lost five fights out of seven, and none of them were slouches. Verdum got subbed, uh, Little Nog, uh, Ricardo Arona, Shogun, and Sergey Kuratanov. None of those are bad losses. Um, but but again. Five out of seven losses, that's rough. He, since then, went on, and uh, I, I want to say he's got 18 wins with two wins over Renewing, two wins over Hunt. The big one for me that was kind of the, the holy shit, we need to watch out for, for Overeem, was when he went out and knocked out Junior Dos Santos. Yes, uh, yes. Dos Santos versus Cerrone, too, yes. in December of 15. That was, that, I mean, that was, Junior never had a chance. 
he was never in that fight. Overeem was beating his ass the whole fight. Um, and that's that's the time that you're like, oh, shit, I forgot. This dude is a K-1 champion, is probably the most technical striker in the heavyweight division, and has power. Because Dos Santos has made a living on his really good boxing, his good footwork. He doesn't have great uh, fight IQ sometimes, kind of puts himself up against the fence, which obviously you know you're, a, you're an analyst. Uh, but, man, I mean, he just had nothing for, for Overeem that entire fight. And, uh, you know, he goes out, he knocks out Dos Santos, he goes out and knocks out Arlovsky, and that's kind of when you're like, holy shit. And then actually, even, I would carry this over in the Steve Miocic title fight, he has, if he wouldn't have gone for the guillotine and just followed up with one more shot after he dropped Sipe, I think Overeem's the champ. Yeah, he dropped, yep, He yep, dropped Sipe yep. with a straight punch. Sipe was out until he hit the ground. Yep. Then when Overeem had him down, he went for the guillotine, which was a weird choice, uh, instead of just, you're, dude, you're 265 pounds, throw one more punch to a yeah. guy whose hands are at his waist. And he's still he like, has good ground and pound. <laughs> he has great ground and yes. pound. I get it. He wanted, I don't, I don't know. He wanted to summon. And then obviously, we know all the rest. Steve gets up, knocks him out. Overeem's chin's not uh, legendary. But I, if I had to pinpoint, I, I think as a career, Overeem started off super hot. He was this dude that, that uh, had all the talent in the world. He's got some big wins. Uh, you know, over in in, uh, in Pride, and, and uh, he's fought in all all sorts of, uh, you know, he's fought Strikeforce, he's fought in K1 tournament, he's fought in Dream. You know, he had a tough stretch, but uh, I, I think he's a guy who's actually put together a really, really good later career run, specifically capping off. I would I would choose the Junior Dos Santos knockout, because that was a fight that I picked Dos Santos in. Uh, I think a lot of people picked Dos Santos, and I think Dos Santos was a huge favorite going into that fight. Oh, yeah. And, and Arlovsky just pieced him up. Or, I mean, or, uh, Overeem just pieced him up. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot. I think a lot of it too was because this fight was talked about for a while back when, again, kind of alluding to why this is a great pick. It was alluded to while Overeem was going through his wash phase, where people were like, "His chin's done." He just kept getting knocked out. Remember for a little bit there in the UFC. Yep. yep. And uh, after, it was after, and it was after the after the, the uh, once again positive test that people were already suspecting him of. So yep. the, the, people were just like, people were still high on Dos Santos, right? So everybody was like, "Oh yeah, Dos Santos is going to beat him." And this is a great pick. This was UFC on Fox 17. I almost I'll just leave it at this. I almost went with two, including that that that, uh, that fight. Because I feel like that Dos Santos fight, if you're going to narrow it down to the performance, it's, it's it, that one probably has the best argument, though, you know, again, with, with Overeem, there's quite a few. But I almost went with two from that main card uh, as far as research and performances. I'll let you all do the math there. Um, and this was almost one of them, man. This was a great pick. Uh, I'm glad you have it on your list. I thought about it. Um, it did not make my list. But let me ask you, I mean... I, it kind of was a given that there was going to be a lot of heavyweights because uh, they're going to have longer lifespans, which means more chances for resurgencies. But was this something that you noticed too? Just a lot of a ton of heavyweights, right? As far as you know, when you're when you're working out your list. Yeah, my original thought was like we're going to have ten heavyweights. This yeah. is going to be a heavyweight list. But you know what? That's my last heavyweight on my list. I'll leave it at that. Wow. Okay. My, my, I think my first, literally my first eight names were two hundred and five pounds or above when I'm just putting my right. list together without yep. numbers. So. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a great pick. Um, uh, you know, I'll save, I was going to kind of, a lot of these kind of, a lot of these picks too kind of all branch to another pick, so I'm trying to decide where to stop myself. So I'll, I'll stop myself there and I guess introduce um, my number four, which is, uh, you know, not a heavyweight, uh, but, but a light heavyweight. And uh, this one was one, I, I got to imagine this came across your, I don't know if it's on your list, but I got to imagine it came across your, your, your mind, Jordan. 
And I'm like, am I putting this one on here because it makes me giggle, like, a, like with a shit-eating grin, like a kid making a, a, you know, someone just cracked a good dick joke when I think about this fight? Does it really deserve to be on there? And I went back. I went back to UFC 132 to watch Tito Ortiz's fight with <laughs> Ryan Bader. Yeah, man. And uh, I had to put this on my list, man. I had to put Tito breaking a fucking five-year, which surprisingly in that five years, because of all Tito's injuries, he only went 0-4-1. <laughs> but it felt like Tito was like 0-7, you know, to the casual yeah, fan watching like at this time. like he had one in, in a decade. Yeah, exactly. Like, it really felt like it was a decade, but it was really like a month shy of five years, which, you know, that last win was, of course, to a washed Ken Samrock. <laughs> So, I mean, Tito hadn't had much to be happy about. And at this point, Tito Ortiz was just in the, oh, I'm going to make an excuse. Like, he, his last high point, which I was at, was the UFC 84 weigh-ins where the Dana is my bitch shirt. Because really after that, you know, and, and maybe the, the, the triangle he almost caught in that fight against Machida. After that, like, uh, Tito was just written off. I mean, it was just, you know, the arguing with Dana. I don't know if he did his failed management uh, yet. But he had some weird foyers where I'm going to go to Affliction or he was showing up at like Elite Exceed Strikeforce events, cutting bad Tito promos, right? Like excuses after every fight, excuses after saying he wasn't going to give an excuse. And he would like literally hijack even if he lost the fight or it was some other guy's retirement fight or, you know, there, there were headliners or more important fights that were happening on the dais because this was back when they did post-fight press conferences. Tito would fucking hijack the thing and just go off on diatribe. So everybody was, was writing off Tito at this point, but he just started working. I had to double-check. He just started working with Jason Perillo at this point, which was a real big key because we've seen Perillo kind of gift guys a little extra life at the end of their career. I'm not going to mention anybody else in case they come up, but this isn't anything new. And I'm like, oh, that's right, he had Perillo. That's, that's why he hit Bader with that right hand, right? And then mm-hmm. the guillotine wasn't that much of a surprise because Bader was rocked, but not only that, again, Tito, to his credit, always had an underrated submission game. So yeah. it was great. He got to show, he got to win with both underrated pieces of his game. And just hearing Rogan and Goldie flipping out and people just like, Going, oh my god, I forgot about the Gravedigger celebration because we haven't seen it, like you said, in almost a decade. Right. To where we're just laughing. Everybody had to have been laughing their ass off. And uh, just one last thing, and I'm going to turn the steering wheel over to you, Jordan. We had a friend of my grappling team, Josh Gorilla Grievous. Shout out to Josh. He was, the mo- he was a really good grappler and amateur fighter, but he was a diehard Tito fan, and he would wear the flame shorts. And we. we- Again, just kind of to, to, to remind people where Tito was in, in, in the fan lexicon even back then, we would make fun of him. We would just roast him for wearing Tito shorts. We would make fun of his post on Facebook back when I actually would check the damn thing. Like, ha ha, poor Josh is getting his hopes up for it. We would feel bad for Josh. Josh would make bets with us. Like, he was just, we would take advantage of him, bet him fucking for free food. We're like, this, this idiot thinks Tito's going to win. And of right. course, when Tito won, I went right to Facebook. Josh is just lighting the world on fire. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Tito, baby! <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one of those great moments where you can't help but be happy for the guy. So that that that, that earns a spot on my list, Jordan. What, what do you That's a fantastic pick. I didn't even think about that one. It totally slipped my mind. Uh, that is that is a great pick, though, and that that probably should have made my list. I uh, I know exactly what you're talking about because uh, I was just looking it up, and that was in the middle of a, a streak where he had uh, seven losses and yes. one draw. That win came right in the middle of the weirdest, maybe the weirdest stretch in MMA history, where. <laughs> Dude loses, draws, loses, 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 beats top five guy, loses, loses, loses. That's insane. Has that ever happened before? That's crazy. Uh, but my, my, my recollection of that fight is I was at 
I have so many stories where like I'm the cool guy and like I was rooting for the guy who wound up winning. This is the opposite of that. I was at a Buffalo Wild Wings watching that fight, and I'm, <laughs> I'm in the Midwest. I'm in the land of Chuck and Tito fans. Right, right. <laughs> like dudes who are stuck in 2006, and they're like, "Fuck you, yeah, bro!" And like they wear nothing. But they have like affliction jeans. Like, what are you doing? How how do you have that many sequins on your jeans? That makes no sense. But like, so I'm there, and like, there's so many dude bros that are just just waiting for Tito to win. I'm like, you guys are fucking out of your mind. Brian Bader is going to throw Tito on his head, and he's going to complain that he has a broken neck, and the fight's going to stop. And then he's going to say, well, I got 78 pins in my neck last week, and he's going to make a weird speech about how the lion sometimes has to jump on the, the zebra and the jungles. I'm like. Tito's an insane person. And then he drops him and subs him. And everyone at the bar is like, fuck you. And they're using a lot of, using a lot of derogatory terms that people of my oak shouldn't be using. So yes. I don't use them. But they're using a lot of Q words and a lot of F words that they're calling yeah, me. That for, sounds about right. For backing the guy that probably was the favorite to win and should have won the fight had he not got clipped and, and subbed. And, you know, I'm like, I just take my wings and, like, leave the bar. I'm like, I don't want to get dumped, a Coors Light dumped on me at this point. So that's a, that's a great pick, though. And I, I was ridiculed very much by a lot of dudes who were probably off-duty police officers. Oh my God, that's so great! You're, you're just, the studded jeans, the shirts, and the choice of language is perfect for that ilk of fan and era of the remnant of that type of fan. And by the way, right now I, I did odds for a lot of these because not that that should be indicative. I've done a top five underdogs episode before. Y'all can go back and listen to. But I don't know about you. I did catch myself, Jordan, kind of looking at odds for maybe some kind of uh, affirmation, if you will, as far as how resurgent the performance was. Plus 485 underdog, and I imagine he was heavier at certain points in the books, at certain books than that, Tito Ortiz, and that going against that Ryan Bader fight. I was positive Bader was going to win that fight. Yep. Yeah, yeah, most people were. Oh, that was a fun trip down. I'm just laughing my ass off because it's a, such a – I bet you everybody listening to this has their own version of that because I could totally see you like, like oh, this is a great opportunity. Not that you're wired this way or I am or any of us are, but – you couldn't help but be like, oh, this is like an opportunity to be like, look, look like the sharp, better, the smart guy, exactly. all those things. Like, oh, I'm setting myself up to look so good. What kind of bets can I set up before this gets in, right? Like, you're, like you're fucking pool hall junkies. Like, you're a hustler. Like, oh, <laughs> these fucking well, fools. I'm the dickhead that's like, and the, <laughs> I was so confident about it. I'm the guy that's like, listen, Tito's a great fighter. I am not, like, I'm being like smarmy towards them at this point. I'm like, listen, Tito was great in his heyday. Don't get me wrong. They're like, fuck you, he's still great, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, these guys are asking for it. Huntington Beach is fine. Bader's going to you know, piece this dude up. He's going to take him out. He's probably going to submit him or finish him with strikes on the ground. No, like, just you watch, bro. Just you watch. Tito's going to fuck him up. He's going to come out. He's going to fuck him up, bro. And I'm like, all right, all right. Okay, all right. Like, I'm being like, I'm holy. And then he does. And then he fucks him up. And I'm like, God damn it. God damn it, Ryan Bader. I'm going to come to Arizona, and I'm going to make sure you can't have frosted tips for the next two years. I'm so mad at you. Yes. <laughs> yep, yep. No, that is, oh, that is so perfect. Uh, all right, man. Uh, I think you're up for number three now? Yeah, yeah. Let's do number three. All right. All right. Here is an interesting set. So I'm, I'll tell you who it is, and then I want to ask you – uh, a, a question you may know because you're you're more into the everyday minutia of of MMA. My number three is Jeremy Stevens at UFC 189 when he goes out and he uh, and he knocks out Dennis Bermudez with a crazy knee in a back and forth fight. Uh, so that's my number three. Let me ask you this real quick: What do you think Jeremy Stevens' record in the UFC is? Shit. Uh... Let, me, 
let me tell you how many fights he has, in, and, okay. and he's got 29 fights in the UFC. How many of those do you think he's won? Shit, I know he's right around like the 500 level, so I'm going to say 21 fights? 29, he's at 29 fights. I'm going to say he's won 14. You're very close. He's 15 and 14. Shit, that's, okay. That's, that's bizarre to me for a guy who's constantly fighting top 10 dudes. Yeah. That he's, he's, at, he's basically at 500. Yep. Uh, he was 5-5 five and five through his first 10. He's been fighting in the UFC since UFC 71, I think. Dean Thomas, yeah, in 2007 was his first UFC fight, so he's been around forever. I, for some reason, I just assumed he had way more wins than losses because he's a guy who's, like I said, constantly – he's fighting Max Holloway. He's fighting Dennis Bermudez. Yeah. He's fighting Bob Swansea. He's fighting Hennon Brow. He's fighting Gilbert Melendez. You know, he's fighting Jose Allo. He's fighting all these – Cerrone at 55. Cerrone at 55. That is, yeah. Pettis. Uh, Melvin Gillardman. Melvin was on his, his crazy yep. run. Yep. You know, he's he's constantly finding top five, top ten guys. So it's like he's got to be winning constantly. But he's he's basically five hundred. It's nuts. It's it's absolutely crazy. So, but but if I have to pinpoint a performance for him, it's it's coming off two straight losses. Swanson beats him. Oliveira beats him. He's at this point he's out of the top ten. Uh, so he fights Dennis Bermudez, a guy who is kind of uh, I, I don't want to say uh, on an upswing, but at that point in his career. Uh, I, I want to say he had he had just lost to Lamas, but before that he won like six in a row. He was like really really hot. He was kind of like the hot featherweight at that point. He had the one the one loss to Lamas, but he was he was really like seven and one in the UFC at that point, and and came out and was in an absolute war. And Stevens finishes him with that huge knee, and it's it's one of those things where maybe it was just my perception that Stevens is winning more than he loses, but that, that fight seemed like one where it was like almost a passing of the guard type thing where Jeremy Stevens has been around the block a very long time. Even though he's not technically that old, he's get, you know, he's old in fight years where he's, he's been fighting since he was like 16. I think his Wikipedia says something like his, uh, his first pro fight was when he was like 16 or his first exhibition when he was like 16 or something crazy like that. Right. Uh, but, but Stevens, my, my number three is Stevens uh, coming off two losses to guys where you're like, well, maybe he's not top level anymore. And then goes out and knocks out uh, Dennis Bermudez. And that set, set him up to go fight, I would say, six or seven more top ten fights. This is a sleeper pick, dude. Um, I think most people may be surprised to hear the name Jeremy Stevens. Uh, I wouldn't just from following his career and knowing the surprising stats like that, like as far as like at a certain point the most losingest fighter ever. And like these weird little like stats you can kind of attribute to him. Um, so I definitely like deserve it, deserve it sleeper pick. But I will admit that I was a little surprised you said that fight. But now when I look at it, you're exactly right. Um, because you could argue, like I remember thinking about that fight as far as betting wise, and it sounds crazy to even take an angle on that fight, just looking at what a crazy war it was and looking at those guys' careers since. But I remember that being one of the more um, I don't know how much I played it because my, my big play that night was uh, Robbie Lawler and then I had a little bit of on McGregor for fun early on uh, when he was a dog against Mendez. But I remember that fight. I don't know if I played it heavy, but I remember having the take of where, oh, this is like a Dennis Bermudez is going to just – this is the Dennis Bermudez decision all over it. Because again, right. you forget that Jeremy Stevens, he didn't have a lot of those key victories, uh, more memorable victories, which started from this one. Um, he, he, he didn't have a lot of those yet. And Dennis Bermudez, right. you can be like, oh, Dennis Bermudez is chinny. Like now he has this thing for being chinny. But back then, like, he'd never been stopped. That was the first time he was officially stopped. And sure, he was coming off a loss to Ricardo Lamas where he got dropped with a jab. 
but it was a well-placed jab that caught him at the right timing and ultimately was the guillotine that finished him off. So it wasn't like you could condemn Dennis Bermudez's chin. The, the, the knowledge going into that fight was, unless Jeremy Stevens lands a Hail Mary, like Dennis Bermudez is going to run a decision on this guy. This is Jeremy Stevens' role. He's the scary guy, but you know he really doesn't get knockouts that much. And that is one of the criticisms, which I, I get people would criticize Jeremy Stevens in a lot of breakdowns. They'll be like, well... Even even recently, like I think his knockout power is a little overinflated. And even though I don't agree, I can see where you could conjure that argument by sure. looking at, at at the paper. So that's a really uh, pinpoint pick right there. Yeah, I, th- I think the other thing too is uh, you kind of nailed one thing that I forgot to mention was that it, he didn't really have a signature win before that. I mean, you could maybe point to the Dos Anjos knockout, but that was like that's 2008 Dos Anjos. That's not the same Dos Anjos that's fighting now. That's a that's a Dos Anjos that was essentially just a grappler. Yeah. that was trying to get you down and, and submit you. So he had that huge uppercut knockout. But before that, it was like any time he fought a tough dude, he was probably going to lose. He loses to Lozon, he loses to T-Bow, he loses to Gallard, he loses yep. to Pettis, he loses to Eve Edwards, he loses to Donald Cerrone, he loses to Cub Swanson, loses to Oliveira. And then Bermudez, like you said, just kind of fit that mold. Dude, That he's a good fighter, he's probably a little better than Stevens, he's going to beat him. But he goes out and, yeah, has this war and, and knocks him out, and that sets up the fight's I mean, if he doesn't win that fight, he never fights Max Holloway. He never fights Henry Brown. He never fights Frankie Edgar. Never fights. Uh, never fights Moicano. Honestly, Mo- that's one of Moicano's uh, tougher fights that he's had. You know, outside the, the loss to to uh, T City, um, he, he fought that Jeremy Stevens fight was really close. That was a really close fight. Um, you know, he never fights those those fights. I think if, if he doesn't get that big knockout win uh, at 189, so that's that's my number three. Solid pick, man. Solid pick. I, I I didn't see that one coming. Um, I, I'll leave I'll leave that one alone there because if we follow his trail and his resurgence, it may lead to another one. But I'm going to take us back to the heavyweight division for number three. You know, we, we were talking about heavyweights having a big part of it, and uh, this is one that I had to man. This is like if we're talking about feel good wins, maybe this is number one. And really, I could put this anywhere from number one two, through three as far as the spectrum of emotion that it generated for me. And as far as resurgence goes, I think it's spot on for a resurgence, uh, Jordan. But it's funny because I don't know if you notice this upon your research or maybe even any of your picks, is that some of them that are end up being my picks or are justifiably resurgences, if you look at the actual performance that I'm picking, there may have only been one loss, a one-fight losing streak before then, which kind of shows to how fickle our sport is. You know, how can someone come only have one loss would be considered in the tail end of their career, but there's a lot of context that's missing from, from, from the on paper in MMA. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that was the case for Minotauro Rodrigo Nogueira. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 uh, he came over to the UFC, he beats Tim Silver for the interim, he says, come fight me, Randy. He has to go through this whole debacle to wait for Randy Couture to come back, if you remember the contract negotiations. Randy, of course, was one of the first people kind of challenging the powers that be for contracts and fighters' rights. That took him out of the UFC. They bring him back for the money fight. For Lesnar, of course, he loses. And both guys kind of have this resurgent performance, if you will, at UFC 102, where... Um, Noguera wins against Randy, but both guys look great. It's kind of the last we see of their classic forms, I would argue, for both Randy Couture and Antonio right. Rodrigo Noguera. Yeah. And uh, oh yeah, by the way, sorry. And, and, and then of course Noguera, when Randy loses to Brock, Noguera of course gets stopped for his first time when he gets knocked out uh, by Frank Mir. Now some right. people are like, oh, Noguera had staff. We all knew he was battling stuff like hip problems. We're still kind of giving him a pass, but we're not sure. Then he, you know, has that kind of, he shows, like I said, he shows the glimpse of life, him and Randy, arguably their last glimpse of life at UFC 102. 
And unfortunately, all that win does for Noguera is it earn, I don't have the notes in front of me, so I want to say it's UFC 110 in Australia. It earns him a fight with Cain Velasquez, and that was like Cain Velasquez. You want to talk about breakthrough performances, right? That knockout over Noguera or passing the torch moments, like that yeah. fight could end up on there. It was a brutal knockout, and at that point, I think even Noguera's most staunchest defenders were like, dude, this guy might be done. Right. And... uh so I would argue, even though you know it's only like a one-fight losing streak, and maybe I might be missing a fight or two before that, uh, because we don't see him. I, I want to say we don't see him again until UFC 134, and that's the one that makes it on my list. 2011, Tony Rodrigo Nogueira versus Brendan Schaub in Brazil. Um, of course, everybody knows what happens here. He comes out, shows you know, comes out in vintage form as far as you know, it's boxing. Uh, you know, it, he boxes him and, and probably could have went for a choke, but you know, just does that old the big dog boxing and, and get you know gets the crowd get, gets him toward the end, ed, edge of the fence and and Brandon you know couldn't quite get his legs underneath him and couldn't quite get into the fight. No, Nogueira stung him early and jumped on him like the veteran he is, and it was a fight that just made you feel so good. People were crying if you listen to people who were in attendance. It was one of the most feel good wins ever, and this one almost feels like it ages better. Um, I think Big Nog didn't, you know, kind of ages the same way. He's still great in my mind because of who I am or whatever. You know, maybe he's had a couple homophobic, questionable quotes here or there. Uh, oh, yeah. Sure, but but uh, nothing too much. Whereas uh, Shab, I wasn't like the biggest Shab fan, and I'm not hating on Shab. I'm happy for where he is now. But let's just say that 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 that, that went aged well. Uh, so it makes it for my number three. Uh, this one, uh, do you remember this one at all? That makes it on your list. Honorable oh, yeah. mentions, Jordan. It was in my honorable mentions. That was one that I was I was debating putting at number five. And I, uh, I mean, you, I think you encapsulated it really well. That's a good point. I think a lot of times when you get a heavyweight that's older, anytime they get a big loss, specifically a loss where it, it's a vicious knockout. That that knockout that came Velasquez, that was vicious. That that was you, you described it well because I remember talking to friends and being like, "Dude, I don't want to watch that anymore. Like, I don't want to watch Big Nog get beat up like that. Like, yeah. fuck that. That's stupid. I don't want to watch that." But then, yeah, going out. Uh, I, I'll say this. I, I just like you said, I'm happy for Brendan Schaub. Uh, the the best way I've been able to describe my feelings for Brendan Shaw is I just feel like that's not a dude that I would have liked to hang out with. Yeah, that's my that's my that's my big uh, my big takeaway from that. Is yes. that. I still think we would get along very well, but I'm happy for him. Good. Good on you. Have great success. All that good stuff. And that's a good pick. There's very few people that trigger me back to my high school days because I would like to think at 33, um, I've gotten over those days for sure uh, with the help of martial arts and other things. But, yeah, he yeah. definitely brings me back to, like, the jocks who I was constantly at war at and wrestling in the weight rooms and getting into fights with. Like, he is that guy I would have been get- going head-to-head with for sure in high school. Like, like if, if there would have been Twitter when Brendan Shaw was in high school, like there, he would have some very offensive tweets. I guarantee it. Yes, I guarantee sure. he called a lot of people a lot of bad things. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, let's see. That was uh, that was my number three. Um, yep. Do you want me to? You know, why don't why don't I stay in the driver's seat here? And we'll just we'll we'll use this one to kind of do our, our midway switch, and I'll lead us off for number two, and you can close us close us on out with your number one last. Sounds good, buddy. All right. Well. I'll take the double dip there. My number two, it's going to be a triple dip, Jordan, because I alluded to it a little bit when we were talking pre-show here that I was having trouble limiting it to just five, and the worst part about that is I even cheated. I don't do it often. I try not to abuse the rules, although there really are no rules on this, but I doubled up, and usually when most people double up on top five lists, they'll double up at the beginning for their number five. Or they'll double up for their number one, which makes sense, right? They, they couldn't figure out which one was the best, and they couldn't figure out which one they wanted to squeeze off their list. Well, my double comes as number two because there's two of them, and they mean a lot to me. 
and they're both different, but they are both great examples of overcoming adversity. Not just resurgent performances, but resurgent because they overcame different adversities, Jordan, but both unique ones. And the my excuse of why I'm I'm doubling up at on this number for this reason is because they both, though different, happened on the same card. Now, if I take out any of your two here, please interrupt me and double dive because uh, I don't want to be hogging it. But these both happened at UFC 178 in 2014. <laughs> and it's Kat Zingano and Dominic Cruz. Jordan, any of these, before I go any further, any of these two in your, in your list coming They're up here? They're both on my honorable mention. They didn't make my list. Okay, cool. Well, you can, you can still chime in either way, obviously. But obviously, people that don't know, Dominic Cruz was coming off a more lengthier layoff. I believe he was just a month or two short of a four-year layoff, where uh, back at UFC 132, we didn't see him since uh, a previously mentioned Tito Ortiz won. How, how long it's been since we saw Dominic Cruz, because yes, he headlined UFC 132, defending the title against Faber, or I believe, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't think we saw him since then, or it was, it was maybe since the Demetrius Johnson, I'm not sure how many notes in front of me. But we didn't see him for a minute, he had multiple knee surgeries, we all know the story, comes back. Against Takeda Mizugaki, who Mizugaki, you know, may not be a name who was big at the time, and he definitely hasn't aged well since. But Mizugaki was a perennial contender at that I time. I love Mizugaki. I, me too. Big fan. Mizugaki is one of my favorite fighters that know it. Like, if we had to make – here's a good list for some time, Dan. We'll make this a mental note. Okay. Like, favorite fighters that no one knows about. Fuck Takeda yes. Because I fucking love Takeda Mizugaki. He was such a well-rounded fighter. He was a sneakily good boxer. Yes. He had, great, he had great submissions. He was a good grappler. I really, really liked Mizugaki. And Mizugaki had a stretch where I want to say he had, like, some really good wins. He beat Cole Escobedo. He beat uh, Eric Perez, Gaito. He beat yep. uh, Nampan, beat Prince, uh, Francisco Rivera, beat Brian Caraway. That was That's a good a, run. Yeah, he had a really good run. And, and yeah, you're right. Since that Dominic Cruz performance, he had some, some L's, but – you know, not to not to not to chumps. Lost to Cruz, lost to Sterling, lost to Cody Garbrandt, lost to Eddie Wineland. You know, those aren't those aren't losers. Those are you know. And, and and the energy he brought to a fight, which is something I would argue is much more crucial and needed at the lower weight classes that have a hard time sucking people in. Yeah. He had two things. One, he had underrated heavy hands. Now his record's not going to show that, but he, like you said, he was very underrated boxing, not just his technique, but when he hit guys, you could tell that he earned their respect. And right. That made the guys, his, part, his dance partners, fight more urgent, and it gave that unspoken energy, especially if you know what you're watching or have been watching fights for a while, it raises the temperature of the fight you're watching, right? And two, what adds to that is, you didn't have to be a fan of the guy, but whether he won or lost, he's one of those guys where not just your favorite fighter nobody knows about, he'll make that list for sure, for both mm-hmm. of us, but for anybody's list as far as guys you could never accuse of not leaving it in there every fucking time they got in there. That dude was always out of breath at the end of every fight and every round, and it wasn't because he wasn't in good condition. Yeah, I, it's it's this weird thing, and I, I don't know if uh, this might sound weird coming from like a, a, a Midwestern white guy, but it's like this weird, cool thing that you see sometimes, and I feel like you see it a lot of times in fighters from that era or that area of the world yes. a lot of Japanese guys and sometimes some of the South Korean guys uh but it's it's this weird like warrior spirit it sounds so fucking cheesy and stupid when I say no, it. no it's like, not you know I just listened to a great uh there's a great podcast out hardcore history if you guys don't know it uh Dan Carlin the the latest one that he did was one about uh kind of the Japanese culture uh pre and post World War II and it, it talks about how their culture was shaped into this 
really uh, why honor is so important and why why it became this great. Because you hear these stories about you know uh, the, one of the small islands. There was a there was a soldier who was stationed on one of these small islands during World War II, and he didn't get message that the war had ended. So he's he's guarding his post until the mid '60s when somebody finds him. Yep. Yeah. He's, He's been shooting at the locals because yep. he was never told by his direct superior that he was able to stand down. And it's just <laughs> it's like yep. it's it's crazy to think about, but it's almost like so heroic to think about, like that someone can be that committed to to whatever cause they believe in that they would fight that sternly and for that long. And I feel like that's kind of the energy that Mizugaki brought to his fights. Yeah. Is that like I, I want to win this fight, and I'm literally going to do every fucking thing I can to win this fight for every second that the fight's going on. And that is it, – it, it's rare. It, I think a lot of people talk that way, but when it comes down to it, people don't be like that. You know what I'm saying? No, it's true. Uh, it's true. And it's funny. My, my number two, I'm sitting here cheating and choosing two people, and we're like – turning this into a Mizugaki praise fest and we're not even talking about either my things. But no, you bring up a really good point that didn't sound cheesy at all. In fact, I just want to follow up on it uh, because I was kind of having a thought that, that intertwines with this thought where you're right um, as far as Asian fighters and culture to, from like broad stereotypes to like, yeah, well, think of the fighters who died or almost died in the rings when we think about guys that constantly push those limits. We got boxing like Dooku Kim and all those fucking yeah. Korean fighters, right? Uh, do Ho Choi look like he's the fucking next generation yeah. that just doesn't give a fuck. He's going to go in there, right? And uh, then guys like, as well, like, like uh, Ensign Inouye, right? Uh, Igor Volchanshin and his legendary, yeah. uh, you know, I'm ready to die in there. Like a guy who fucking really meant it. And note, I'm not, you know, it, it, you're right. These guys are coincidentally, you know, um, different parts of Asia, different cultures, but amongst that Asian culture. And yeah. just again to further, and I'll put a cap on this and we'll, we'll talk about the picks after this, but. To put a, another broad stereotype, I was kind of thinking about uh, daily debate ideas and like this one kind of got too racy because it comes like race and like ethnicity and stuff. But I was thinking about the major continents and what are the different differing factors of the major forces. And I would kind of block it up if we had to if we were forced to divvy it up into four. I would say uh, Russia, you know, Russia slash Europe or Russia being the powerhouse. If I had to divvy it up, right? Uh, Asia as a whole, Brazil. Yeah. And I would just count North America uh, as one, being sure. Canada and United States. And the reason why they kind of intersect is because we think about the broad stereotypes of fighter mentality. They kind of all cover different things. Um, Brazilians are very tough people. They're all tough people. So this isn't a discouragement of race or anything like that. But what is the stereotype um, with Brazilians for, for a long time? Not so much anymore, but is that they're front runners. They do really good early on in the fights. Okay. They're bullies uh, in, a, in a good term. Uh, exactly in the beginning. The way Mike Tyson was a bully. Yes, yes, and, and of course, you know, you can, you can, like, exactly, you can, you can take these and, and frame them. Uh, all fighters can embody this, which will round to the number four. But then you have Russian, who they're kind of like stone cold and stoic. That's the stereotype, and they kind of have a moderate kind of temperature all the way through. You know, right? they're not too, they're not coming out too strong in the beginning. They're not necessarily pouring it on at the end. They're just tough all the way through, whether the fight's going their way or not. Then we have the Asians and Japanese, who they're usually not the the fastest starters they're not because they're not you know known as the, the biggest athletes right or the most right. physically imposing dudes right um yeah. so they're more with that warrior spirit that you were talking about these are guys who usually come on later in a fight right they're using that veteran savvy that warrior spirit and then of course that rounds out to the more modernized people who jumped in the sport which is north america we jumped in a little later than these cultures hence we're a mix of all three we right canada and and america we've kind of gotten to pick off of these other cultures, and we've kind of, you know, yeah. all, 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 our fighters are all over the fucking gamut. 
I don't know. This is a random stereotype I thought of, and I don't know if there's any any kind of broad 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 uh, truth to those, but but yeah, I don't know. I, no, I love it. I mean, I, I when when we're sitting here talking about it, I'm just thinking like of some of these some of these guys that I, I, I I've watched so many Dung Young Kim fights, right? Yeah. I can't remember one time that he ever like stopped going for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like he had that one fight where like his back spasmed and like tore a muscle in his back. Like that's the, and the, you know, they came in and stopped the fight cause he couldn't move cause Maya took him down and it hurt his back. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like I mean, that dude, he's been knocked out trying to throw running, spinning elbows at people. Like he's yeah. constantly trying to win the fight. And I think that's like such a, it may not be, you know, not to say that that those fighters can't be technical, because obviously, obviously they can be, but like it's almost like it, 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 it invokes this this weird it invokes this weird reverence towards fighting where it's more of a, a guttural thing where it's like they're taking this literally like this is a yes. fight this is their honor this is their pride like the like why would they, to them it's like why would you ever not be going a hundred percent for this because if you're not doing that why the fuck do it. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. And just to capstone on that note, that's probably why their scoring system is different in Japan, which I think we're, I, th- I think we should at least start coming around, coming back around. We've moved away from Japanese scoring systems and the way they do things, but from their pageantry to the way they score fights, like PFL, for example, using their, they're, they're letting the first round decide the winner of a fight, which is weird. I think they should inherit a Japanese uh, ruling of judging who won the overall fight, uh, because that's where a lot of our judging arguments happen in modern day MMA. And I think that speaks to it, their way of fighting you know they're, they're not trying to win rounds in their fight style exactly. and it's not it's, reflected in their scoring system either and i think there's more positives than negatives especially it's less of a sport it's more of a fight yep even even in modern day so but anyways just just, just before we get too sidetracked of that just dominic cruz of course coming back from a knee entry beating to canada mitsugaki i know we went, gets his ass kicked more than the guy who kicked his ass <laughs> and we just mitsugaki gets fucking washed in 38 seconds and we just spent 10 minutes talking about him and Japan. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> and then, of course, Kat Zingano, who had a knee injury, I want to say. She was supposed to, you know, she has that breakout. She has a breakout performance. Misha Tate earns herself the tough, um, the title shot, all this money, and loses it to injury, which is enough to crush somebody. In that time, loses somebody, uh, her husband of all fucking people, and the mother to her child to suicide. I can't even imagine what that's like to recover from. And again, Dan Tom really appreciates whether it's physical adversity in the ring or adversity outside of it. That stuff always tears at my heartstrings. So seeing them just being able to come back from Dominic Cruz doing the impossible like a ninja and just doing that calm. Remember that calm after he beats Mizugaki where he does that calm, <sighs> takes the breath like he's about to fight, but he's doing it late because the fight just happened in a blink of an eye. To Kat Zingano, I've said it a billion times. I know Rogan gets off on it too, and I understand why. Just that visceral scream after just beating who has become one of the most badass females ever in Amanda Nunes, and her just smashing Amanda and just looking down at her, even after she already beat her. You know, Amanda's still on the ground by the time they're they're, they're bringing her in. Her shirt's on. They're about to raise her hand as Buffer's announcing the window. Amanda's still being dressed, uh, still being cleaned up, blood still running on her face. And you see the camera cuts to Zingano before they raise her hand. She's still eyeballing, fixated off camera to where she still hasn't been able to turn it off because she accessed that fucking animal side. And god damn! Oh, do I love it. You're not going to see that much animal instinct. Just like a a female singer can hit certain notes that a male can't, which is why it's not so guilty of pleasure that Dan Tom loves female singers. I haven't been able to find that comparison or anything close to it except in martial arts or in the physical realm, except 
Kat Zingano's catharsis release after that fight. So that, that, there's my pick for two. That's a good pick, man. Um, I, I, I like that pick. And it's also just uh, good to mention that Amanda Nunes was beating the shit out of her early yes. in that fight. Yeah. So not only was it a, a statement resurgent performance, it was a resurgent performance within the fight, too, because she was, uh, I mean, maybe seconds away from being stopped in that first round. Bounced her head uh, off the canvas like a basketball, and she's still dude, having she, problems from she that. Was mounted and just getting wrecked from the top. And, I mean, to come back and win that fight the way she did, it was outstanding. Insane. Okay. Insane. All right. No, no for that. I took up way too much time for my number two, sir. What is what is your number two? All right. The other thing about Takeda Mizugaki. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> 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 no, my number two um, is a guy that I think has – uh, he may have made uh, a lot of people. I saw a lot of people mentioning him, maybe in the uh, in like the Twitter and stuff. But it was one of the first ones that came to mind for me too. Um, and not only did he have a crazy run, but I think there's a couple within that run that you could that you could pinpoint. But my number two is uh, Matt Brown, and I'm probably going to pick his. This may not be the one most people think, but it was a fight of the night performance. It was a win over Jordan Meehan. Yes. At, uh, UFC on Fox, Henderson versus Melendez. Great back fight. Back in 2013. Um, that was it was a crazy fight, and that that had all the elements of a passing of the torch type of thing, uh, where Jordan Meehan was a very good young fighter, a um, uh, lot, a lot, a lot of potential. Matt Brown was a savvy vet who was kind of in the middle of this weird run, but he hadn't really beat. Um, I mean, he had the win over Stephen Thompson in there, but that was really early Stephen Thompson before Thompson really got well rounded, and before that, I mean, Matt Brown's a guy who was seven and six when he got into the UFC. He's seven and six. His last fight before the UFC, he got uh, choked out by Chris Lytle. He gets into the, he goes on the Ultimate Fighter. He gets into the uh, gets into the UFC. He goes five and five over his first ten fights in the UFC, and then he randomly goes on a seven fight win streak and propels himself into the into the, uh, the the top ten there, and, and I mean into a title eliminator. Um, I, I think a lot of people would have picked the Eric Silva fight, but I think by that time. He was on a six-fight win streak, and I yeah. don't think – I think it's hard to say that a guy is on a career resurgence after six wins in a row. Yeah, he already I, had his fight. I think he also already had his like UFC on Fox showcase spot against Mike Pyle in that, in that streak it, as well. So he had I, a main audience showcase. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Exactly. He went out He went out and knocked out Pyle in like 29 seconds. So like it's uh, – he, he, he starches Mike Pyle. But I, I think the, the first big test in his – and not to take anything away from guys like Chris Cope and Mike Swick, but right. – uh, I, I, the win over Stephen Thompson was big, but like I said, I, I want to say Stephen Thompson was three fights into the UFC at that point. Like he was not much into the UFC when when he fought Matt Brown. He yeah. was uh, it was his second UFC fight. He 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 beat Stan, Dan Stigan and then he uh, then he had to fight Matt Brown. Yep, that's that's a tough. It's fight, a hell of man. a jump. Yeah, the, the story there was more that uh, Stephen Thompson got his first veteran or first you know prospect loss, and then Matt Brown having a resurgence. I agree. Right, so so that that win over Stephen Thompson isn't as crazy when you think about it. He never fought a guy who really had was that well rounded could take you down and beat you up physically. But so he he beats Thompson, he beats Luis Ramos, he beats Mike Swick, which is a good win. But this is not the same Mike Swick that had been in the UFC four or five years previous. Then you're then it comes to the fight, uh, April twentieth, twenty thirteen. Jordan Meehan um, is a kid that had a lot a lot of uh, uh, potential, a lot of a lot of hype behind him. This is a dude who fought Tyron Woodley to a split decision. Back in Strike Force, had some really good wins over guys like Dan Miller and uh, Marius Doronskis, yep. Josh Berkman. A lot of good wins on his record. And, I mean, he's a young kid. Got into the fight game early. And uh, he's he's coming off. He just came over from Strike Force. 
And then he comes to the UFC. His first fight, he just beats up Dan Miller, a good vet. Um, Jim Miller's brother, for that, for those of you who don't know. Yep. Really, 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 really good fight. He really showcased Jordan Meehan. This is like a 24-year-old kid. Uh, really, really fun to fight. And, and so now you're putting him up against Matt Brown, a guy who's 15 or 16 fights into the UFC at this point. And uh, uh, this, this has, like I said, had all the hallmarks of a patch, passing of the torch. Matt Brown goes out there. They have a good fight. Jordan Meehan gets the win. Jordan Meehan goes on, fights top 10 guy. Maybe you get to see the Tyron Woodley rematch at some point. I think that's probably what the UFC matchmaker's mindset yeah, is. Yeah, that's very true. That that's very true. And right, so he goes out there and they have a brawl and Matt Brown uh, TKOs him with elbows in the second round. The fight of the night. And then uh, Matt Brown, obviously, we all know the story, goes on, beats Mike Pyle, beats Eric Silva, goes on, has that really good fight with Robbie Lawler. Goes on and has a, a, a fight with Johnny Hendricks, you know. And so since then, he's had some wins and losses. He's towards the end of his career. But, man, I think nothing defines a career resurgence more than a dude who's basically 500 going on a seven-fight win streak and propelling himself to a title eliminator with a big win over a hot prospect along the way. Yeah, dude, I want to say he was an underdog going into that one. He got hit with a body shot early, just like in the oh, Eric yeah. Silva fight. Probably. Uh, and I'm glad you picked this fight because low-key, it's probably my favorite Matt Brown fight. I mean, gun to the head, maybe the Eric Silva one, but it's pretty much tied as number one as far as favorite Matt Brown fight goes. But I agree, uh, picking this fight, this is the sweet spot, man. This is, if you got to pick as far as like where resurgence goes. And also one of those classic fights where you just want to look at the young, up-and-coming, explosive guy uh, versus the guy who kind of you know is tough and can, can weather a storm. Like that dynamic of a fight is represented so well in this short uh, fight that was between them. Right, and Matt Brown really wasn't known as a finisher. Like, Matt Brown had a lot of, like, gritty decisions. Yes, yeah. And, like, yeah, he had got, he had, I think he'd finished... uh, Submissions and stuff, right? Right, some submissions, and he had a couple where it was, like, yeah, he ground the dude down to, like, you know, end of the third round, almost over, they they saw the fight, but, but that started a little, like, you know, he beats him, he beats Mike Pyle, he beats Eric Silva... He got you know some finishes in a row there, so I think that's another another thing that led me to to choose this one. That's a that's a great pick, man. That's a great pick. I'm glad Matt Matt Brown. Uh, it's hard not to give him love on any list. Like I feel like we can find a way to put Matt Brown on there, but but he was he's one too. Especially like these lists for guys like who never got to be champion or you wouldn't expect to do well. I really yeah. like giving him love on lists like this because I think that those resurgences almost mean more. But, uh, all right, man, number one time. I have a feeling we could have some crossover on this one. Because my number one, I feel like this one, it didn't matter what your expectations were. I think we all felt it to some extent. So Mm -hmm. it hits that emotional level for a lot of people. As far as odds go, next to Tito Ortiz, this might be the the biggest underdog on my list or even the other ones I wrote down that didn't make the list, like of all, everything on my piece of paper here. As far as biggest odds upset. And again, you want to talk about how fickle our sport is where like a one-fight losing streak could, 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 could set up the context for a resurgence, Jordan? Yeah. Well, how about a three-fight winning streak setting up context <laughs> for one of the biggest resurgences? I know where we're going. That's right. And that might not sound like it makes sense, but if I tell you Michael Bisping at UFC 199, then that kind of makes sense. Did this one is – this, is, are we on the same spot here, Jordan? So here was my methodology behind this. Okay. I was either going to put this as my number one or put it as my or put it as my honorable mention. Aha, so okay. I put it as my honorable mention, and I have a different one for my number one. But this this was one of the ones that jumped to my mind right away. Too. Fair enough. And I, there were parts of this list where I thought about um, leaving him off for 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 past foes of him even. 
But no, I couldn't, man. I really couldn't, especially, you know, and you don't want to be oversold or, or be swayed by commentary, especially like when you're breaking fights down. Um, but even a little bit on lists like these, you know, uh, but at the same time, like I totally get and don't fault guys like Rogan or Goldie for doing their classic overselling of a moment because they were genuinely feeling this moment, just like the Tito Ortiz win, you know, like they were some, like, it, it, you know, it's real when they're almost laughing at their own commentary and they're I, laughing at the result because their laughter of it, they're laughing at Tito Ortiz's win. Like they're laughing at Michael Bisping's win in a way that they're almost admitting that serving as an admission that <laughs> they didn't think they were going to win the fight. They had no chance of winning this fucking fight. And you could literally see them putting their hand on their head, standing out of their seat without the camera actually showing them doing just that because of the way they're calling it. And I, I'm so on board with it. I couldn't deny it uh, for my number one, even though he was coming off is arguably, arguably was his biggest win. He was coming off of not just a three-foot win streak, his biggest win against Anderson Silva. But for obvious reasons, that was even if you didn't pick uh, uh, Bisping, you still uh, admitted that was a much closer fight than it would have been maybe three or four years if it were made prior. And of course, Bisping had to weather a lot of storm. And you could argue that he didn't win that fight, yada yada. Not to get into that, but there are plenty of reasons why that wasn't sure. a resurgent. It was a it was an amazing performance. It one yeah. of Bisping's one of my favorite Bisping performances, but not a resurgent one. This this was a resurgent performance. It, it, I I could not, um, you know. And again, if we were doing the list the other way, Jordan, as far as talking about like more of like the Olenek perspective where we're looking at a guy's whole career. I still feel yeah. like Michael Bisping has a strong argument for number one. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so he's my number one here. That's a great pick, man. Uh, I think that, uh, that, that fight was, it was wild in a sense that Bisping, Bisping had like, he was, everything fell into place. All the cards kind of fell into place for him. Cause it was like, fuck if he doesn't win, who cares? Like he's, a, it's, it's last minute. It's, you know, he's going out there, already taking an L to the guy. Like, I mean, what's he got to lose? You know, he goes out and you get the win, and that's the situation where it's like, dude. Yep, yep, yep. No, I, yeah. I, I think it was like minus 700 or something, like right. Rockhold was, by the way. And mm-hmm. this thing was around plus 500, I believe, depending where you were looking. Like, it was, it was insane. Like, people were just like treating this guy like he was going to be dead. <laughs> like, he was going to a funeral. Like, and you know what else is funny too is like Bisping's a guy that's aged. He's aged like wine for me. Like I, when I first got an MMA, I did not like Bisping one fucking iota. Right, I could not yeah. stand that guy. He, I, but as I got older and I kind of learned more of the business side of things and how you have to sell fights, and uh, I've grown to really appreciate and now like Michael Bisping. I think a lot of that's come from his commentary because I think he's a very good commentator, and I think that helps a lot. But also. I really like his trash talk, and this is something I meant to mention on Dominic Cruz too. Dominic Cruz, I think, is one of the most underrated trash talkers on the planet because he's he's very quick, yes. he's very witty, and I think that's why I like Michael Bisping too. He's very quick, he's very witty. Yeah, Brockwood seems like a nice guy. I've never met him, uh, <laughs> but man, when they would have their back and forths, it was like Bisping was running, and and Luke Rockwood was trying to tie his shoes. Like it was it was bad. Those yeah. were like verbal beatdowns going into that fight. Bisping was definitely the better on the mic, which uh, may have may have gotten in Luke's head and why why Mike was able to win that fight. But um, which, which by the way made for my favorite post fight press conference ever. One of the last post fight press conferences where they had the dais, mind you, and it was a good one if people remember the back and forth. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good one. again because you had Dom and Bisping both doing their thing. Like it's a perfect it, example to what you were saying. They were both in the dais going at the same time. It was great. They were. <laughs> it just reminds me when Dillashaw was trying to leave the interviews. Like, you have nowhere to go, dummy. You have to talk to me. <laughs> 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 uh, 
know you like that. Uh, it's so fucking great. Uh, uh, right. That's a good, that's a good pick, man. All right, my my number one. Yes. My, my number one is a guy who is coming off the, the performance. I'm going to pick. Uh, a, I think if you're going career career resurgences, this one's my number one no breaker. But I think also you can pinpoint a performance, and it is a. Uh, I think it's it's got to be Robbie Lawler for me. The split decision win that he gets over Rory McDonald the first time they fight at UFC 167. Nice, because that's really the time that he comes back. This is a dude that a lot of people. I, I think if you're coming to the sport now, you don't really know Robbie Lawler's first UFC run, right? Right. Robbie Lawler's first UFC run, he went four and three, left the promotion, didn't really have any huge wins. He had losses to Nick Diaz, Pete Spratt, Evan Tanner, um, loses to Mayhem Miller outside the UFC. You know, he gets some good wins. He fights in Elite XC, he fights in Strike Force, he loses to Jake Shields, he has that crazy win over Melvin Manhoff that everyone knows. He loses to Babalu Sobral, an old Babalu Sobral. Uh, in strike force, you know, he knocks out a 50 year old Matt Lindland, which is terrifying. That, that knockout was terrifying. Uh, but then he goes on, he loses the, to Jacare Souza. Not, not a bad loss. Tim Kennedy, again, not a bad loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, loses to Lorenz Larkin in strike force. This is, this is a guy who is 19 and nine. He doesn't have a great record outside the UFC, let alone in the UFC. He comes back, he knocks out Josh Koscheck and he beats Bobby Volker. At that point, neither of those wins are huge. Come UFC 167, this is, again, another one that's like, here's a, a vet against a young guy who has got a ton of talent, a ton of talent. Robbie, Robbie Lawler, uh, Rory McDonald was a guy that, I think after his first or second fight, the UFC was like, we got something here. We need to, we need to promote this kid as like the next, the next dude. They're trying to get him to be the next GSP. Obviously, that didn't really work out for them. But but this was the first time that it, that Robbie really showed his his well-rounded game. I think you, maybe you know better than I do when Robbie actually went down and started training with the guys there in Florida. Yeah, I don't. I I think it was around this time uh, this this resurgence. But just to kind of uh, step in and kind of back up your point here, it was around this time. I would argue it was even when he fought Koscheck. But yeah. to support your point, without looking, I want to say Bobby Volker and Koscheck are the only two welterweight UFC fights in this run before the McDonald fight, correct? And the amazing part was not that he was coming back into the UFC, that he was dropping down a welterweight because Lawler was just, he was falling asleep at press conferences. He didn't look like he was training for middleweight fights. And before that, he was even taking catchweights at 195, like Melvin Manhoff. So the fact that he was going down to 170 was a surprise. The fact that he made 170 was a surprise to some people. The fact that he looked good at 170 at the weigh-ins and on fight night was a surprise. Then he goes and beats Josh Koscheck. But even then... Josh Koscheck is kind of even then is kind of already on his way out, right? So we're like, well, exactly. it's Josh Koscheck. Let's see if Robbie Lawler not just can keep it up, but let's see if he even stays. Uh, I don't know about you, but people aren't aren't even convinced at this time that he's even going to stay at welterweight. Then I think oh. he was supposed to be booked against a bigger name in his defense, but I think he ends up getting booked against Bobby Volker. Not a big yeah. name, of course. He head kicks, knocks out him. So you're right. It's not till that Rory McDonald fight and, and just just one thing I want to say. I don't want to uh, wax too much. Uh, on it for, for, for time reasons and it's your pick, but I, I love this pick because it's forgotten about because their second fight is so good, but this first fight, it's a completely different type of good. 
It's a mm-hmm. tactical good. This is quietly yeah. one of the more tactical fights in any weight class you're going to find. I mean, you have Robbie Lawler, if memory serves, he comes out, and it's a very tactical first round. They're bat- it's a southpaw versus orthodox. They're battling versus outside foot position. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. Robbie takes that round. He goes back to his corner, and he's like, I took his kick away. You see that? Because remember Roy McDonald, he, he was so good with his back back foot where he would go question mark kick or tie kicks or front teeps. Like, you didn't know what was coming. Robbie Lawler took that away, was bragging to his corner. I think they have a close first round and maybe even a close third round. But the reason why it, it rubs funny to people is because the third round ended with, I believe that was Rory's round because he ends with a takedown. Yeah. Um, and, and arguably takes that round. So people had in their head, oh, he did enough to win maybe. And it was kind of right. a close contested fight. And that's why you probably had Robbie, even though he won, getting uh, odds out the underdog in their rematch. But yeah, underrated fight. And I would, I'm glad Robbie Lawler had, a, had a, got representation because I had a hard time pinpointing a fight. But if I did, it would be this one too, man. Yeah, that, and that was my problem. Like when I thought about career resurgence, I was like, I have to, it has to be Lawler. Yeah. Because Lawler's a guy that I think a lot of people just forgot about. Like if you're if you're an old head like you and I are, Dan, like we we know about his first UFC run. We know about the the, the first win over Chris Lytle. You know this is back 2003, 2004. Yeah. But Robbie Lawler had hair, and he fought on I the Militich team in Iowa. You know that that was that was Robbie Lawler. Uh, this new the new Robbie Lawler that we saw fight Rory McDonald was, I don't want to say the the exact complete opposite because he still had power, but it's the exact basically the fighting style was the exact opposite. He uses wrestling defensively. He used a lot more varied array of strikes rather than just a big right hand yep. to knock people out. But he, has, he still had it. Obviously, ask Jake Ellenberger. Obviously, ask uh, Roy McDonald the second time. Uh, but, but I mean, this I, I feel like this is the perfect fight that made people be like, holy shit, is Robbie Lawler going to make a title run? Like, this is crazy. Because then he goes on, he fights Johnny Hendricks. That's a very close fight. A lot of people felt certain ways about that. But then that, that really starts the... I just feel like that first Rory fight was was really what lit the fire under the uh, the Robbie Waller renaissance, where he goes up, fights Hendricks, beats Ellenberger, beats Matt Brown, beats Hendricks for the second time, then has the the great maybe the greatest fight of all time with Rory. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Beats Conor in one of the greatest fights of all time, you know. So it's it's this crazy this crazy upswing that I think if in two thousand twelve after or sorry, we'll say this in two thousand eleven after Tim Kennedy. Uh, basically, just just wrestles the shit out of Robbie yeah. Lawler yep. for three rounds in Strike Force. That that was that Fedor uh, versus um, uh, Dan Henderson night, yep. I believe. Yep. Was, that was up in Chicago in the suburbs. Um, but yeah, it, after Tim Kennedy just kind of ragdolled Robbie Lawler for three rounds, that was a pretty one sided fight. If you would have told me four uh, three years from now he's going to be fighting at welterweight in the UFC for the title against. The, the top guys in the sport. I would have said, you're out of your fucking minds. That dude that just got wrestle-fucked by Tim Kennedy, who's yeah. not, no, no offense against Tim Kennedy, very good fighter, but a very limited fighter, I think. Exactly, exactly. Uh, again, Robbie Lawler lost these type of fights traditionally. Like he never. That was also another reason why this was an important fight because traditionally, the tactical fight was the one he lost. The one where he couldn't just knock the guy out with a hail mary exactly. was the fight that he lost. Um, not to cut you short on that, we just only have a couple minutes left. I'm looking at the clock here for episode time, so I'm just gonna queue up your honorable mentions, Jordan. We're gonna run through those to, to close out. But I did. There's only a couple people that chimed in, but I did want to give them their shout. Um, normal listener to the show agrees with you. He replied with just a Robbie Lawler gif. So I, I, I. I he, he definitely agrees with you there. That's that's Jesse uh, at MMA twenty four seven feet on Twitter at uh, Balaz Pal 
at Wise Guy Chrome. He says Matt Brown, 2012 through 2014, is my favorite run by a mile. Those fights were insane, especially the Eric Silva one. Uh, he, you you did a great job of representing that list, so I won't, we won't redive into that. But but he agrees with you there. Um, Matthew Holt at Matthew Holt VP. Uh, Cormier at 39 years old, smoking Ozdemir Miocic after getting KO'd himself by Jones. Uh, yeah, for a guy who has such a, a quietly impeccable record, you could argue their resurgence for really an unblemished record besides a guy named John Jones. Uh, Fedor making, we mentioned this one, but Fedor making the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix Finals with two KO wins. Um, he, this next one was the honorable mention that was fighting for my number five, Jordan. This is going to be make it on the video. If, uh, this one gets a video uh, treatment. But Aldo turning back the clock versus Jeremy Stevens. Good pick. I really wanted to put that one, but Aldo has made it on previous lists. He'll make it on plenty more because he's Jose Aldo. And as you know, I will usually lean more toward classic picks as opposed to new ones. Not that you can't pick new ones for these type of lists. So, uh, And then his last one, he's with you on this one. Olenek and his cool chokeout wins as a 41-year-old. So I forgot about that one, but both of you guys uh, checked me on this one. Um, Jordan, while I'm going to Facebook, do you want to run through your honorable mentions right quick? We, we honestly mentioned most of them. The other the other big one that I would I would really strive, and the reason it didn't make my list is because I couldn't pin down a specific fight, was Mark Hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy that the UFC acquired his contract. He was 5-6, and six, uh, a losing record. Comes in and loses to Sean McCorkle in his first fight. Uh, a guy that you know he had really no business losing to. Um, I would have included it if I could pinpoint one win. If I had to choose one, I would probably say the Stefan Struve fight um, because Struve was a guy that I think for all his his uh, deficiencies had a lot of talent and was always a guy that I think the UFC assumed was going to be right on yeah. the, uh, the the cusp there too. And he was kind of on a uh, a bit of a, a win streak, I do want to say. Yeah, he had – yeah, all right, this is actually way better. I could I, I could justify this one because Struve's coming off wins of Pat Berry, Dave Herman, LeVar Johnson, and Stipe. Yep. Get that one. Knock TKO TKO Stipe and then goes in and Mark Hunt absolutely ruined his face with a left hook. One of the one of the nastiest left hooks you'll ever see in in MMA. Uh, But so that that was the the only one that we really didn't mention was uh, was Mark Hunt and just his run kind of going from a sub 500 fighter to uh, fighting the top five in the division at. 40-plus, but I'll, I'll say the, the, the knockout of uh, Stephen Street. I'm glad you mentioned that's on my honorable mention list as well. Juan Lee Tran had Dominic Cruz over Mitsugaki. I'll skip his description there because we, we covered that one uh, pretty well. He also agrees with us. Michael Bisping, he has his number two winning the title. Um, number three is with you, Robbie Lawler, winning uh, 170 pounds after making his UFC debut, jumping in between weight classes and organizations. Number four, Matt Serra over GSP. Definitely a resurgence. And uh, we think of it as an upset, but that's definitely a resurgence. Um and number five, yep, he is number five, Mark Hunt. Uh, Mark Hunt, yep, he's, he's with you there. Nice, same page there. And the last one for the listener contribution, Kate Tromley. Here I am all late like a crackhead. I agree with Wanley's picks. I might put in a homeware alert, John Howard. He's doing well at PFL after a UFC skid. That's very true. Appearance on a regional circuit. Also discovered he was on the autistic spectrum. So talk about a resurgence, right? Um, and then he says, could we also put John Fitz in the discussion? Not in the discussion, not a resurgence with the UFC, but he's still competitive beating uh, some solid guys. Insert, <laughs> beating some solid guys. Insert dirty joke here. <laughs> nice, Kate. <laughs> All right, solid list. I'm just going to run through mine real quick. Probably only like a minute left here before we're going to run out of time. Uh, I almost made Vitor Belfort, UFC 103, a part of my list because um, it was a non, you know, you could argue, of course, we never know. But if you look at his body, I would argue this was a non-TRT'd up this was by the last natural version of Vitor yeah. we, we got. 
Um, if you really look at his body, him coming down from 185, he kind of looked like loose and elastic from losing the muscle. Like he looked like an aging fighter should look. And this was right, right before the TRT. This is when he moved his camp to Extreme Couture Sean, and he was working with the late great Sean Tompkins was in his corner. It was just a really cool Vitor performance. You know, he had that quiet, spooky karate performance and just sparked out Rich Franklin. Um, Randy Couture, UFC 68 against Tim Sylvia, but I talk about Randy in that fight way too much, so it didn't make it. Andre Orlovsky, UFC 187, uh, Travis Brown. Orlovsky's had so many of them, but I would, it, I'd argue that, that Travis Brown fight. Sorry, go ahead. That, no, that's a good one. I, I mean, I, I wanted to put Orlovsky on mine too, but I had no idea which fight to choose because I feel like he's had like three of them. <sighs> dude, where it's like he's higher and then he knocks dude out. I'm like, well, fuck. Uh, this one's not really considered resurgence, or I would argue uh, that you could make it, but it was just, I ultimately left it off because it was just a fun fight, but you could argue it was a resurgence between this and his fight with Roy Nelson, but I went with Fabricio Verdum's fight with Travis Ooh. Brown, his first Travis one, Brown. that yeah, you yeah. see on Fox going five rounds, doing the kick, the, the kick, kick up. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was such a fun fucking fight, was it not? What? No, it was cr- that was the first time we were like, holy shit, Verdum can kickbox. This yep. is weird. And, and then he could like, oh, he can wrestle because remember he was he became the first person to take Travis Brown down because Travis Brown was like built up at that point. Like he was like the next guy. No one took him down. Maybe he's the guy that can beat the wrestlers like Velasquez. Like that was the narrative being floating out there. Right. To, to be fair though, even with my minimal wrestling knowledge, I was like, dude, you just can't put your head on the side of this dude's hip and try to double leg him. Like look, he's going to elbow you into fucking oblivion. Just yes, that out. too. Your that head to chest. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, Frank Mir uh, against Antonio Silva, UFC Fight Night 51. Um, Antonio Ruggiero Noguera, a little, little recent, but, but, but against uh, our mutual bro there, Sam Alvey. Yep. Yeah, uh, I thought about it too, but I was like, it brings tears to my heart. It does, it does. I didn't want to put that on there. And plus, it's it's too new, but I got to give credit where credit's due. Uriah Faber, even though he was actually a favorite, UFC on Fox 9 against Michael McDonald, because that was like a very classic young lion. Old lion still got it. Um, <laughs> I just sing Juby Brothers now. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the one I alluded to earlier, Nate Diaz, UFC on Fox 17. Uh, James Lynch had that performance for top five post-fight interviews, which earns a yeah. spot. But also resurgent performance because I, I picked against Nate because I didn't think he was going to show up for that fight. He ends up showing up uh, in top form and earns himself the biggest fight of his career off of it. So, yep. uh, Jim Miller, uh, you could say UFC on, on Fox uh, 4 um, against Melvin Gillard. Uh, he just lost to Ben Henderson, got his, his streak snap, but then comes back and wins a fight that uh, people thought he wasn't going to win. Or UFC 228 recently, um, where he recently had a very similar performance he arrived favorite did against Michael McDonald. Cub Swanson, Duho Choi, George St. Pierre, uh, UFC 217, and that's it for me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you edited your, you, I edited my list down a little better than you did, but yeah, I thought about a lot of those, just didn't yep, never yep. make the actual... Uh, the the core the connection to put up on my list. All right, Jordan. Well, we're about five minutes over, so <laughs> I think I think I might be able to edit this down without cutting out actual any content. We'll see. So, on that note, I don't mean to rush us out of here, but this has been a really fucking fun episode, man. Um, thank you for joining me. As always, man. Anytime. Uh, anything you want you want to plug for? Get out of your Twitter handle. Any, anything you want to shout out? At J Killian MMA and just be nice to each other. That's a good shout out, man. I'm gonna do the same thing at Dan Tom MMA. Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully I made this just right at the two-hour mark, which would probably be under. Uh, So enjoy the weekend. Enjoy PFL if you're going to watch it. Enjoy the break from major MMA promotions. And, of course, until next time, always protect your necks.